Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And I'm Darren Docterman, and we are the Inglorious Trexperts. Spurts. And this is a special bonus episode of the Trexperts where we're going to let you listen to the incisive, fascinating, and fun commentary. And freewheeling. And freewheeling. And free. Uh, <laughs> that Darren and I did a couple months back on Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan to honor the anniversary of uh, the film today, June 4th. Right. Now, we could have done the commentary on Free Enterprise, which also came out on uh, 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 the 4th of uh, June, or Paltry. Right. But uh, we decided... But you we want to do one for something that you've actually seen. <laughs> we You'd want to listen to our commentary on, on Wrath of Khan. So, look, this was... Um, uh, an event we did with Paramount that was uh, streamed through Sea Alive, and it was a super fun time. You know, throughout you'll hear us responding to text messages uh, that were coming through. So if we're repeating a question or referring, that's what we were getting, like um, text uh, texts uh, on the screen uh, from different people who were listening to the event, uh, and we would respond to their questions while we gave our commentary on Star Trek II. Now, right. regular listeners of the show will hear a lot of information they've heard before, uh, like Bob's, because you know some of it we're talking about what Bob Salen had to say, and some of the other people we've talked to on the show. But hopefully, a lot of it'll be new to you. And if not, it's just fun and enjoyable. We had a really great time that night. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun, and uh, it's always fun to uh, talk about Star Trek while Star Trek is happening. So, you know, it's it's, it's funny because I just watched Star Trek Two again this week. And, and 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 you're probably thinking why? But um, our internet went down last week, right before Memorial Day. And so uh, all of a sudden, you know, my, my, my son, my 11-year-old is like, uh, you know, what can we watch? He said, you know, I want to watch Star Trek. And I'm not going to say no to that because, you know, we have them all on Blu-ray. So it was like right. we didn't have streaming. But we ended up watching a, a whole mess of episodes. And then he wanted to watch the movies again, which he loved. And he, he hadn't seen Star Trek four in a long time. We watched it, which he really enjoyed. And then we went back and watched Star Trek two and Star Trek six. And uh, we watched a ton of episodes. He watched his first Deep Space Nine episode, Trials and Tribulations, which blew his mind. He could not believe yeah, How sure. did Why they do it? that? He won- yeah. Yeah. So um, he, he really enjoyed that. And then, I, you know, I, I sort of curated a couple of other episodes, which he really enjoyed and never seen, like Tomorrow is Yesterday, which he just loved. Mm-hmm. And it was so great because he, he wanted to watch all the episodes with the original effects, which we did, except... Yeah. Tomorrow's yesterday. I said, I'd like you to watch this with the new effects. Tomorrow's yesterday, mm-hmm. and he was like, he couldn't understand. It's like I don't want to watch the new effects. I'm like, no, no. I think this episode is actually benefits from the new. It's right. one episode that benefits from the new effects. And I had a really like, we had like a, a whole thing. I'm like, just turn on the new effects. You don't need to watch the original effects for this particular episode. That's and funny. and this uh, Aaron De Mercy, we watched it with the original effects, which he loved. And we just had the greatest time. Oh, and we watched Best of Both Worlds also um, because we're doing an upcoming show on Best of Both Worlds and uh, I need to rewatch it. And he, you know, and he, he gets a kick out of data, but it's so funny. I mean, like, oh, we watched First Contact also. And, um, and uh, you know, he's like, yeah, Next Generation, because his, his mother loves the Next sure. Generation. And, and as, as do, but he, he, uh, he's like, yeah, no, Next Generation's good. I really like data. So I said, you know, what's your favorite Star Trek? And he's like, looks at me, he's like, the original of course i mean it's not even close and it's like his father's son he said yeah i like first contact it's good but it's no con like i was very proud of him very proud of him and then he proceeded to steal a bunch of my star trek toys which i was not so happy about well this is this is the problem you have as a geek father this Uh, is the things yeah this is this is the way 
This is the way, indeed. <laughs> uh, but uh, we really, I, I got to tell you, I'm so grateful to Sia uh, and Paramount for asking us to do this event because yeah. it was a really great way for us to connect in real time with listeners of the show. We had a fantastic turnout. Uh, I mean, yeah. they were pleased with the amount of people. Um, they've done a bunch of other events, and I think we were the most successful event they had done, at least until that time. And um, uh, it was it was great. And and I think that if we don't do Star Trek Three with them, we might have to do it and maybe rope in a few friends to join right. us. I think that would be fun. Honored if you would join us. Um, so now, without any further ado... Well, do you want to, I mean, is there anything you want to tee up about Star Trek 2, what it means to you personally? No. We, they, they know what Star Trek means to us and what Star Trek 2 specifically means to us. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, it's not, it's not my favorite Star Trek movie, but I love it. Uh, you know, my favorite is number one, is the first one. Uh, and it would have been if I hadn't had any involvement with the director's edition. Um, mm. No, you were going to say something? I was going to say, not to split hairs, but I, yeah. I think I have a way out of this for me. And I will say, it is my favorite Star Trek movie adventure, whereas Star Trek The Motion Picture is my favorite Star Trek motion picture. Experience, yeah. Experience. Because Star Trek The Motion Picture, is it's the best movie, motion yes. picture. Whereas Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan is the most entertaining, fun Star yeah. Trek movie adventure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and uh, unlike you, I like Star Trek Six. And, you know, I have to say, watching Star Trek Four this weekend, I enjoyed it more than I have in a long time. Can't go there with you, but, you know. I know. Godspeed. <laughs> I understand. I understand. Um, you know, and I, I told you, all this is based on, you know, Isaac's very excited because he's a huge Captain Pike fan about the new uh, Strange New Worlds with Captain Pike. And, and uh, he's a big fan of the cage and the menagerie. So I just, I pray... That that show is well, anyway. Let's not even let's I, let's not go there because uh, there's nothing we can do about it one way or another. Yeah, it's right, exactly. We can only hope, as we always do, that the next Star Trek show is the best one yet. But until then, we'll always have classic Star Trek. That's right. Um, okay. Well, without any further ado, here it is: our see a live commentary from a few months ago for Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan, released June fourth, nineteen eighty two alongside Poltergeist. And don't miss uh, our regular episode from Saturday and a new episode next Saturday. Remember, this is a bonus episode, so you'll get to listen to a regular episode of Inglorious Trexperts. So there you go. And, and here comes, ready? One, let's all say it, wherever you are, on, on three. Three, two, one. What? I'm counting backwards. Three, two, one. Con! Right, Darren? That's what we say it. Darren? No? Okay. God damn it. You, let's... Okay. Well, here we are. Now, this is interesting. There's a lot of people talk about how Star Wars, you know, changed the credits. You, you remember the original Crawl in 77 didn't have Episode Four: New Hope. What a lot of people don't realize about uh, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, is that when it was originally released, it was just Star Trek, The Wrath of Khan, um, in the original credits. In the 70, and why was that? The reason was because they were really trying <laughs> to have as little to do with Star Trek The Motion Picture as possible in terms of the marketing, right? Uh, because the perception was that Star Trek The Motion Picture wasn't a success. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about Star Trek The Motion Picture, too, because anyone who knows us knows we love Star Trek The Motion Picture, right? So, um, we'll talk about how that impacted Star Trek, too. And now, let me tell, tell you a little bit of 
about the I, I just want to mention one thing right now, and that is that without Star Trek the Motion Picture and its actual success, there would be no Star Trek II. There would have been no consideration for continuing at all. So Absolutely. We're just going to okay, nip that in the bud right now. <laughs> well, you've done a fine job. So let's talk about the Starfield. This is a very unique Starfield. It's unlike any other Starfield we'd seen Star Trek before. Why is that, Darren? Well, because these were actually computer-generated. Uh, they are... At one point, it was said that they are astronomically accurate. I don't know how that can be because we're constantly moving through them. And of course, you know, if they're accurate, we aren't going to recognize them because we're only on Earth. So, yes, but it's, uh, a, it was uh, good, made on a good point. what was called an Evans and Sutherland machine. And uh, I've never seen one. I've never seen one working, but obviously it works because here it is. Previously, Starfields were uh, photographed uh, on animation stands with different pieces of star artwork that are uh, that were double exposed and different movements on each layer to make it look like it was 3D. Now, this is a beautiful theme by James Horner, who did the score. A lot of people, you know, wonder, well, of course, you know, Jerry Goldsmith's Oscar-nominated score for Star Trek The Motion Picture was so great. Why didn't he come back? Well, the fact of the matter is Star Trek II was produced under the aegis of the TV division for a lot less money than Star Trek The Motion Picture. And as a result, they couldn't afford Jerry. Um, and it was Bob Salon, the producer of the picture, who went to Joel Sill, who was the head of music, and said, hey... Who do you have? Who could you recommend? He gave him a bunch of cassettes. Those are those little things that played music, you may remember. And uh, he listened to a bunch of them. And the person he liked the most was Jerry Goldsmith. I mean, it was James Horner. And he said, well, I was hoping you would because nobody wants to hire him. And I think he's great. And they hired James Horner. And obviously, he did two and three. They're both brilliant scores. So um, that was sort of the... Apparently he did... And he became beloved at Paramount. He did 48 Hours the same year. Absolutely. But uh, I think that the word was that he did the score for Star Trek II in something like two weeks? Something like he did, that. He did not have a lot of time. Well, let's talk about Kirstie Alley. Because, you know, the 10-year-old Mark Altman was a big, big Kirstie Alley fan. And uh, as Savick, I just... I think she does a great job in this film. And... Uh, and she has does. the unenviable task of being a newcomer and also to um, uh, represent a Vulcan, you know, more or less, uh, in this role. And I think she does a great job. Well, have Vulcan, have Ron. But, of course, if you hadn't read the novelization or saw the director's uh, cut, which isn't really a director's cut years later, you wouldn't know that she was part Romulan. But here's the thing that's interesting about Kirstie Alley. Kirstie Alley grew up in Kansas, huge Star Trek fan. And uh, she was so excited. This was her first big, big role. And, you know, she was very intimidating to work with Shatner and Nimoy. And she was not particularly good. Uh, you know, she wasn't really. Um, and it was Bob Salon, the producer, who suggested very tentatively, you know, maybe we can get you like acting lessons just to help you with this. And she, rather than getting upset, said that's a great idea. Right. And she ended up going and getting acting lessons while she was shooting the movie. Uh, and then most of its performance is actually looped. That's when you go in and do ADR at the end and, you know, re-record. And a lot of the dialogue was re-recorded because she's emoting much more. And you can sort of see it sometimes. And in fact, you know, like that, we're in uh, over our heads. Now, this is footage from Star Trek, the motion picture of the Klingon ships. Right. There's a lot um, of reused footage from Star Trek, the motion picture. And, of course, and it, 
most of the sets are right from there. Star Trek the Motion Picture. And a lot of that is because, you know, again, this is a movie that $13 million, it was produced by the TV division because Star Trek the Motion Picture had cost so much money. And even though it was very, very successful, um, the amount of profit they felt was mitigated by the expense. So the idea, okay, we're going to do a Star Trek movie, we're going to spend a lot less money, and we're going to make a lot more money. And of course, it was uh, extremely successful and made Paramount a lot of money and continues to to this day. Um, and uh, so very, very now this now this whole sequence is you know, in the simulator is really smart because of course you had at the time this very controversial choice uh, that and, and people who were alive then who remember was uh, that the uh, spoiler alert Spock was going to die. Okay, right. it was it, it came out in Star Trek fandom and everything. Oh my God. Spock, it, they're killing Spock. Now this came because Gene Ronberry leaked it. We'll talk about that. But the the, the 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 thing that's so brilliant that Nick Meyer did was he said, let's kill Spock in the simulator scene. And everyone's going to think, oh, it's all a publicity gimmick. Of course he doesn't really die. Right. He, he, you know, he just died. Now, oh, we can breathe, Evie. Spock is going to be fine. And, uh, and, and they got us. They fooled us. And of course, you know, it really tees up the ending of the movie where Spock does, in fact, you know, die for about 20 minutes to Star Trek 3. He dies. <laughs> he dies. I know. I, I love the scene. The scene's great. Um, again, one of the great Shatner entrances of all time, of Absolutely. course, is him coming through the doors backlit and just looking like the hero he is. Well, and he's, he's at the top of his form here. I mean, he, he went through a. Uh, a change of character during <laughs> he went through a change of character during the motion picture and he emerged as the hero that we knew him uh on the tv series and now he's he's still that hero but a little more seasoned perhaps a little bit uh, worn out we find his inner his inner turmoil later on in the movie and we think that he's uh, he's losing a little bit of faith in himself and his ability to keep going well, you know, it, it's interesting to talk about how this movie developed because this movie being the, the great movie it is, is a series of happy accidents. And before I do that, I want to just talk about this scene. You know, this is so cool because, um, again, limited by budget, but you see this foreground miniature where this looks like this incredibly cool set. And it really is not that It's coming up cool. in, the, I think, the next big shot. They it's coming up now, Con. It's coming up now, And uh, and it's it, it, the big globe and everything, which is just like a miniature, so right a foreground here. miniature. But it looks like they built this huge set. So and pretty much all... everything but the back wall is a miniature that is in front of the camera. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. pretty spectacular. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, did I tell you I have a special guest here with me, Darren? You didn't. I do. I do. I have. I have uh, Captain Kirk, Admiral well, Kirk. isn't that nice? Yeah, so he's going to occasionally pipe in with uh, different uh, information. <laughs> I have, I have my animated Captain Kirk glass that I'm drinking from. So Where did you get that? Was that Burger King, I believe? Because McDonald's did the first happy for Star Trek motion picture. Yes, but they but did not was, do Star Trek 2. This was the animated show, so I don't know where this came from, actually. It was, uh, it was offered by Dr. Pepper, however. Fascinating. Mr. Pepper to me. This is before free. he was a doctor. He was intern. Before he got his PhD. So, um, and here we're seeing. I, I always remember as a kid, like seeing Captain Kirk's apartment was so cool. 
Uh, I mean, it's like obviously something we'd never seen in the TV show. I mean, we'd never really been to Earth in the 23rd century until Star Trek The Motion Picture. Damn. This is pretty, pretty cool. So Even those shelves, which look kind of uh, like they were from the sharper image. Yeah, totally, totally. I mean, this whole movie, particularly like Spock's quarters, you know, which Nimoy hated his quarters, by the way. It looks like something out of like Spencer Gifts. You know? Now, the miniatures yeah, yeah. outside his uh, window, uh, some of them are actually from uh, the Towering Inferno. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's That's pretty cool. That's what they say anyway. That's what they say. So, um, of course, uh, Khan is a, a sequel to uh, the Carrie Wilbur, Gene Kuhn episode Space Seed. Um, and it was interesting because when Gene Roddenberry was sort of shown the door um, and Hart Bennett was brought in to run things for the studio, um, you know, Gene had really been pushing the script he had written. And this is the famous uh, Spock kills Kennedy on the grassy knoll, which it wasn't really. But he had written an episode where the future is changed by the Klingons because they go back into the guardian of forever and change the past and then the enterprise has to go back in time because earth has been destroyed sarik and amanda are dead in the future and they are shot down they 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 um uh the enterprise crashes in northern canada where um a u2 spy plane mistakes it for a ufo um captain kirk ends up actually in the oval office with john kennedy um telling him what's going on because they've captured a klingon um who the russians want and and it's going to lead to all kinds of crazy. It's a crazy, a lot of stuff absurd. A lot of stuff goes on. And we talk about it on our never made Star Trek episodes. So I'm not going to regale you with that. So at that point, uh, no one was interested in that. The studio brings in Harv Bennett. Gene Roddenberry's made an executive consultant. And Harv in 1980, early 1980, the, November 1980s, starts to develop what was called War of the Generations. Now, that's not a next generation meets. The old cast movie. I just what want to make. Was, was, let me interrupt um, you just for one second to show that um, Captain Kirk's Florsheim shoes have never been worn before. This looks like it was just about the first time he wore them. Well, in anyway, the future, do, they, they <laughs> it, don't stuff up it as much as. In they the future, do. shoes will be much more uh, wonderfully uh, uh, balanced than ever before in the history of humanity. Now, how many people at home are drinking Romulan ale? I think okay. we're all we'll drinking the out. Romulan ale on this. <laughs> now, the Reliant, which I have to say, one of the great Starship designs next to the original uh, and the refit Enterprise. It's a beautiful ship. Um, Bill George talks about it on the podcast. Um, there is the famous story, which we always wondered if it was apocryphal, that it was actually designed the upside down. Right. And then when Hart Bennett signed it, he signed it the wrong way. And the Reliant forever became... Uh, nacelles down, down version with the nacelles down as opposed to up, like on the Enterprise, which is an interesting uh story for people who like uh spaceship porn. Now, um, <laughs> the thing about War of the Generations that's so interesting was this was a story in which, um, basically there was sort of this way to Eden quality to it. These young people were trying to, you know, be rebels against the Federation. It turns out the rebels are kind of being led by um, Kirk's son, David Wallace. Um, in a later draft, it turns out he is the son of Janet Wallace, the illegitimate right. son. From Janet the deadly Wallace, years. of course, was Kirk's uh, love in the deadly years. Um, it goes through a bunch of different iterations. Um, Mike Miner, who is the art director, suggested the Genesis uh, project. And that begins to figure prominently in a couple of drafts, including the Omega system, the Genesis project, 
Um, and all through this, Khan becomes the villain because Harp Bennett had watched all 79 episodes, never really was a Star Trek fan, and just seized on this character of Khan being an interesting villain because they knew they wanted a villain. You know, V'ger was not a black hat villain, and they felt like after Star Trek The Motion Picture, they needed a, a real villain. So um, what's so interesting is Jack Sowards, who is a movie of the week writer, starts writing all these drafts, these outlines, these scripts. And Khan has all these mystical superpowers. He like uh, He's like the Telosians. He can put uh, illusions in their minds. He can transport you. There are all these scenes of like Kirk and Khan fighting on the beach with like swords and energy whips. Crazy, crazy stuff. And Harv Bennett's doing a bunch of rewrites, and none of this stuff is going anywhere. At one point, Sam Peoples, who did Where No Man Has Gone Before, comes in, and he uh, and he actually writes Khan out of it. He, the villains are now like the Wonder Twins, this Mo Moray and Sojin, and uh, <laughs> they realize this film is going nowhere fast. The problem is the studio is about to pull the plug. So what are they going to do? Well, it was um, Bob Sound, the producer's um, assistant secretary, Deborah Arakalian, who suggests a guy named Nick Meyer. Nick Meyer is not only a director who'd done time after time, but also a writer. And she says, well, if we need somebody to rewrite it, Nick can do both. So Nick, who, as we all know, is, you know, um, very erudite. That's the word for it. He right. wants to have nothing to do with Star Trek, but he needs a gig. And he eventually agrees to take a meeting with Hart Bennett, which actually goes well. And he says, you know, I'll rewrite it. You know, and um, they say, well, you got to rewrite it like in two weeks because they're pulling the plug. And he says, well, I, I don't know. He says, we'll take the previous script and rewrite it. it. Ends up Nick Meyer is given basically every script they had developed, like eight or ten scripts. And it's kind of like the Chinese food where you have the poo-poo platter. We have the shrimp toast, a little from this and a little from that. And, well, he takes a little from every script and combines it into the script he writes in 12 days which is this extraordinary movie that we're watching right now. And it's an amazing, amazing accomplishment. Now, here we are on the soundstage. Here we are on what turns out to be SETI Alpha 5. They think it's SETI Alpha 6. Um, but SETI this Alpha is... 6 exploded! <laughs> yes, sorry, it did. <laughs> uh, but here we are, they're using the same spacesuits that were uh, used in Star Trek The Motion Picture, the first Spock spacewalk. Uh, Captain Terrell is in Spock's, and Chekhov is in Kirk's. And uh, this is a, a lovely little bit of set design where we have some uh, set decoration that uh, sort of denotes that they've been obviously living here a long time, that they've made use of the inner workings of whatever their old ship was, and it's just a nice sort of teaser to what's to become. Now, Walter Koenig has told this story at conventions many times and turned it into a bit of a joke, which, of course, he wasn't on the show first season, so there's no way that um, Khan would have met Chekhov. Now, his joke is he they met in the bathroom. You know, he right. has this little shtick that he does. The reality is, so Hart Bennett is actually giving Walter Koenig various drafts of the script to review, to do, quote unquote, what are called Trekkie runs, to say, you know, because nobody involved in Star Trek really knew Star Trek. Hart Bennett, Nick Meyer, nobody. So Walter would look I at I just them have to say that's notes. the worst graphic on that belt ever. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. it's rub it's on like letters. It's kind of where you peel them off and press yeah. them on. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So um, Walter's like, he reads this and he says, well, I, he thinks to himself, I wasn't in Space Seed, but he recognizes me. So what do I do? Do I tell Harp the truth that this is 
realistic, or do I keep the gig? And he wisely kept the gig right. and didn't say anything. And of course, now you know, Khan says, "I recognize. I never forget Look, a face." It's completely uh, uh, understandable that Khan could have seen Chekhov's face. He went through all the records of the Enterprise. He studied all the information from sick bay. So it's possible that he memorized the face of everyone. That's yes, exactly what happened. I saw him, <laughs> and I remembered him. Yes, That's Mini what... Mini Khan. <laughs> I shall call him Minicon. Ah! Those gloves so. are, are pretty cool. Uh, it looks like it has the same um, uh, material that's on the collars of the uh, of the main uniform jackets. Now, but this is a great reveal. This is a great reveal. And, of course, there's this great story that Nick Meyer tells about the scene. This is the first, you know, when... when um, uh, Ricardo has this huge speech. Now, you got to put yourself back in 1981 when this was shot. Everyone knew Ricardo from two things. Corinthian leather car commercials and Fantasy Island. Okay, he was a joke, right? He was the guy in the white tuxedo um, on Fantasy Island you know, who would grant people's fantasies, including Madeline Rue, who played Marlon MacGyver's, actually. And the idea, the audacity to say, we're going to bring him back and we're going to have him play this menacing, omnipotent, you know, scary con and have it work. I mean, and he's great. But in his first, you know, take, he's really way over the top because he was doing Fantasy Island. He was the one guy who couldn't come in for rehearsals. So Nick goes to meet with him in his trailer and he's not sure how, you know, Ricardo's going to react. And he's going to go, he goes, you know, look, uh, um, what do you want with us? Uh, I, one thing that uh, Lawrence Olivier used to say is an actor never shows his top, right. which means he never goes over the top. You know, he always keeps it under control. And and Ricardo famously said, "Ah, going to direct me? I need to be directed. I don't know what the hell I'm doing out there." And he said, and then after that, he said, "You know, the great thing about a crazy person is they never act crazy." You know, they're, they're right. very like, you know, when they're scary. It's the like scariest ones are the quiet oh. ones. So he made the adjustment in Ricardo's performance. And you see how great he is in this and how damaged he is in this and how menacing he is in this. It's interesting, and, the uh, casting of uh, Khan's cohorts here, um, because they all seem a lot younger than the group that he started out with on the Botany Bay. And yeah, well, that's what someone was saying in the text in the texting here. Ah. So, yeah, you know, is that um, uh, 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 that they, they appear younger because they're too yeah, old I, to I mean, have obviously they're too old to have been born there and grown up uh, during the you know during the time in between Space Seed and now, and they're too young to have been on the Botany Bay. So it's very confusing. Uh, so well, you had actors who were in Art Bennett shows like Judson Scott who needed work. Well, you know, perhaps. of course, the, the powers of Matthew Starr. <laughs> so, Although that was another class. That was later, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, that was that was later because see, they met on this. They met on this class. But Laura you Banks, lie. whatever happened to her? I remember when I got the press, uh, the press kit back in the day um, and it had these little, um, you know, pictures of all the cast that you would use. And, and they had the, the women, you know, who were like on con draped right. around con and it was like con and con's pets they called them con's pets <laughs> which is only in the 80s baby so uh it was it was pretty funny 
Um, but look at Ricardo and how great this performance is. And, you know, it's really a shining moment for Walter, and, and he's terrific. And, of course, Paul Winfield as Terrell is fantastic. Yeah. It's a, it's yeah, a he, great he's... scene to set up everything. It, uh, it allows you to have some uh, backstory so that if you haven't seen the original episode, you can still understand what's happening. It takes the audience into the story, and it preps them for everything that is to come. Yeah, it's 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 really um, and it doesn't feel like exposition. Right. You know, it doesn't feel expository, but that's what it is. It's telling the audience who's never seen a Star Trek movie or who doesn't have the entire episode space seat committed to memory. Because remember, you know, this was just in repeats. You know, home video was just becoming a thing right. when this movie came out. So it wasn't like everyone knew space seat backwards and forwards and said, of course, con. In fact, when Star Trek two came out, on home video, Paramount made a big deal releasing Space Seed on home video at the same time. That's true. Uh, and they hadn't released all the episodes. It was like Space Seed was released to capitalize on the success of Star Trek II and Fantasy Island. It's lucky uh, you these know, even, handles are here. Absolutely. <laughs> and of course, this is wire work. You know, he's on a wire and they pull him up. And Walter talks about how uncomfortable this was. We had him on the show recently to talk about... Um, his book, Chekhov's Enterprise, um, The Making of Trick, the Motion Picture. But we'll have to have him back. He has a new biography out called uh, Warp, Warp Factors Beaming Off and Getting Off. Or I don't know, but it's a, yeah. a new biography, and he expanded to include the, the, you know, the rest of his career. Now here, this is puppeteered by – wasn't this puppeteered by um, Kirk Thatcher? Or that was the, the I don't think this was puppeteered by Kirk Thatcher. It was, it was one of the guys from ILM who puppeteered it. And it's really cool. You know, it looks better than any of those uh, boring guards or any of those puppets in Return of the Jedi in 1983. I mean, it, it, this is cool. Look, it was always creepy, you know? Yeah. And it's all, you know, most of that stuff is in cutaway form. They didn't shoot that on the day. Yeah, the inserts really work to its advantage, though. But it sure is a, yeah, a, I'm looking a at really scary, uh, a scary sort of addition to add to his villainy, that this was something that had, uh, you know, basically destroyed his colony there. And, uh, you know, he's using it as a tool now to get his own way. Well, I think there's really something creepy about parasites or parasitical organisms. And it's interesting because, of course, only a few years earlier, uh, Spock, Spock, Leonard had been in Invasion of the Body Snatchers, right. where, you know, um, people are taken over and controlled and you know uh, in and if you haven't seen phil kaufman's 1979 invasion of the body snatchers you owe it yourself to see it is a great uh science conspiracy thriller leonard's great in it jeff goldblum veronica cartwright from alien fantastic movie i know it's not a paramount movie but you should see it um <laughs> but yeah this is this is a this is a terrific uh, terrific scene um, but you know you definitely see a change in Khan now in the early scripts Marla MacGyver's was in it they weren't right. going to have Madeline Rue she was still alive when this movie was filmed but uh, eventually they felt it was um, at least Nick felt that it was too much to have her in and that his vengeance would be more motivated if she had died Right, which is true although I, I think it would have been nice to see Madeline Rue but um, it, it is absolutely true that because this is a different Khan the excellent tactician that we saw in Space Seed. This is more of a madman, right. or this a is, man who is obsessed with vengeance. And of course, crazy the original Khan. title of the movie, he's a crazy guy, he's crazy, Is um, was The Vengeance of Khan. 
Now, why was it changed? Because even the marketing material said at the end of the universe lies the beginning of vengeance. Well, because at the same time, Revenge of the Jedi was announced and they felt it would be too confusing. Vengeance of Khan and Revenge of the Jedi. Right, so they because no one could possibly tell those two apart. <laughs> no, they couldn't. And so this became the Wrath of Khan. And um, and then uh, Revenge of the Jedi ended up becoming Return of the Jedi because apparently Jedis don't have revenge. Um, but interestingly enough, the original original title was on the script, The Undiscovered Country. Right. Because it was pretentious and Nick Meyer <laughs> wrote it. So, uh, and I say that with love. And so, um, of course, that's uh, Shakespeare called Death, The Undiscovered Country. And um, he really fought for that, but no one wanted to call it The Undiscovered Country. And so it became The Vengeance of Khan. Now, here's some lovely footage and from Star Trek, the motion picture. Of course, the scene that uh, a lot of people complain is being too long uh, is uh, Never. Clip, clipped short because they couldn't afford to spend as much time there. Um, but uh, we have our beloved characters here in the same shots, uh, reused. Yeah, it's a shame that they weren't able to use different footage and different angles, but I imagine that that footage didn't exist anymore. No. And it no. had never been... You know, now this is this is when I say when I say that Star Trek the motion picture has scope and Star Trek Two doesn't have scope, and I don't I say that I look I love this movie I'm not but this is it shows its 13 million dollar budget in Star Trek the motion picture Kirk walks into this massive cargo bay right. with all this stuff going on and announcements and a feeling of life on the ship and here he steps this, into a me, hallway very small and this is where the film shows its budget. Um, this and on regular one, where it's a bunch of props from modern props that we've seen in Buck Rogers episodes and things like that. Now, of course, this is Peter Preston in the director's cut, or those of you who read the Vonda McIntyre novelization know that this is Scotty's nephew. Yes. And of course, as we all know, when your nephew is killed, where do you seek medical help? You bring him the to the bridge. bridge. <laughs> you bring him to the bridge. And, uh, and then, um, he was but, crazy uh, again, to get into space. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> now this scene was shot and uh, filmed in English. Yes, and, and then later dubbed in dubbed in Vulcan. Vulcan. Now Mark Okrand, who ended up doing the Klingon language in Star Trek Three, did he do the Vulcan language for this? I believe he I did for know. this one. I believe he did. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, he didn't okay. for the motion well, picture. You, you did not hear it here first. Right. <laughs> Uh, here, James Parr is saying McCoy is usually on the bridge. So he's defending that choice. Well, good for you, James. Don't take <laughs> just because we think something's dopey doesn't mean you should. You so go right on quoting regulations. Standing up for the movie. <laughs> yes, you go on quoting regulations. Now, famously in Star Trek, the motion picture in that shot, they used little people in the distance to give the sense that uh, uh, that the, um, the cells or, or the engine there are, are go on much further and it's it's much bigger than it was but here it's overly lit and you see everything you see everything <laughs> to quote patrick stewart, patrick and, stewart. Oh and you goodness. see everything um yeah now here we are leaving now this for, for those of you who are old like darren and i you may recall this was the scene they always showed during the reviews right. so like when gene shallot or siskel and ebert would review this movie it was always the leaving it was two scenes it was the leaving dry dock scene and the enterprise being hit by phasers from the reliant 
which was always super cool because, of course, in the original show, you never saw the Enterprise get hit. It only fired because it was a TV show in the 60s. But and it was always, like, amazing to see the Enterprise get, you know, it, its ass kicked. Or, or I don't know if we should be profanity, but it getting, you know, beat up. So, um, of course, this was the scene that they would always show that was on the press, whatever was sent out to broadcast outlets right. to show. Um, but it was always pan and scan. So when right. he does that whole thing about, do you need a tranquilizer? He's not even on screen right. when he does the reaction right. shot because all one, three, three, and it's cropped and you can't right. even see it. Now, it's interesting. If you look at the bridge here, it is a, a different configuration than we saw in the motion picture. Because, of course, uh, Savick just got up from what was Spock Station. But Spock Station in motion picture was directly behind Kirk so that you could see Kirk and Spock in the same shot. Well, and it's interesting also because Robert Klein, who was the DP on um, Star Trek The Motion Picture, di and Robert Wise did not want it to be a wild set. Now, what does that mean? It means it can't be taken apart, so the camera has to be moved around within the walls of the set. Now, most films, including on Star Trek II, one of the first things they did was chop it up so they could pull out walls right. to put the camera Make to, it easier you know, to shoot. further away. Yeah, and, and which is probably a good choice. Although in Star Trek The Motion Picture, there's some very imaginative lensing, which is also why you see the use of a split diopter so much in order to keep people in focus in the same frame. Star Trek II was shot in a very different way. Now, it's the same guy who's been standing there since 1979 right. waiting to say <laughs> goodbye to the Enterprise again. I always love this, though. I always love this. And this is a beautiful... I mean, Goldsmith's leaving dry dock music is one of the great pieces of music ever written. But this so is think, great. How could but this I is, was just going to say, it's like, absolutely this is great, great too. This is great too. And it wasn't great in Humanoids from the Deep like the rest of the score. And that'll be on the stars. So, Well, I mean, here's, here's the um, famous, this is the most beautiful famous ending Enterprise, shot. Hands down, Karen Walker. You are absolutely right, Karen Walker. Yes. This is the most beautiful Enterprise ever, and it should never be redesigned again because you can't <laughs> top it. Uh you know, it's a variation on the Matt Jeffries design from the original series. Mike Miner did uh, an amazing job. There has never been a ship that looks as good as this. And if you want to disagree with me, you take it up with Neil deGrasse Tyson because he agrees with us. <laughs> Most beautiful ship ever designed. And I would love to say, and if you question that, come to the Starship Smackdown. But of course, Comic-Con is not happening this year. So this is Comic-Con. <laughs> this is Comic-Con. Yes, that's right. This is Comic-Con. There's this the space is... office complex that has been lopped sections off and turned upside down to become regular one, Space Lab regular one. Yes, they literally turned the miniature around. And, um, and then as we talked about, a lot of this stuff, modern prop stuff. In fact, on a TV show I did many years later, we ended up using a lot of the same stuff from Khan. Absolutely. You know, it was funny. They said to us, do you recognize what the, our production designer said, do you recognize any stuff from a movie? He said, you mean from Rathic? He's like, oh, I didn't think you'd be able to guess. I'm like, who do you think you were dealing with? Of course I knew it, what it was from. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's see. Oh, where's Erin Gray, Alex asks. She's on Inglorious Trexperts. She, we did a great episode of that. Um, I do like the fancy at, sort of uh, uh, flying uh, uh, flag uh, uh, structures on regular one there. It's very interesting. It breaks up the, the background nicely. I don't, however, like the round cutout on the obviously square TV screen, though. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, it's you know, look, I mean, in 1980, they did what they could. They did what they could. I mean, Blade Runner, all these shows in in 82, you look at the great sci-fi movies like Blade Runner, um, Megaforce. Okay, maybe not Megaforce, but um, (laughs) they they had, you know, obviously these kind of monitors because people didn't know or, you know, that everything would be flat screen in the future. And again, Walter, I want to point out, I think Walter's quite good in this movie. And... um, uh, well, he's, you know, he's really actually like given something he, to see, do in the Walter movie. really loves Star Trek. Like I, you know, it's great when the actors actually love the show they're on. And I love the fact that he has such an affinity for this, for the franchise. I love Walter's hand acting here. Bloop. <laughs> and now, of course, the Reliant is a redress of the Enterprise, which is another reason they were able to make the movie so cheap. Right. Because here you have the other um, starship. And it's just the Enterprise bridge um, re, uh, redressed. And it works. I mean, we talked about this again on the podcast. All those great episodes, like the Omega Glory, where they beam to the Exeter or where they go to the Constellation, it's just read de- on in Doomsday Machine. It's just a redress of the Enterprise. So this is an old staple of Star Trek. Okay, this is one of my favorite scenes. It's a good one. I love this scene. And again, this was destroyed on ABC when they showed it on the ABC Sunday Night Movie because it it's was Pan one, three, three, so you wouldn't see both of them in frame. Right. And it, it, the comedy doesn't play in close-up, close-up, close-up or pan and scan, but in the two shot, it's it's real, in the medium, it really works. It's funny, she's great, and you don't even stop to think how stupid it is that Dee Kelly says, who's been holding up the elevators? Like, that's not the way turbo lifts work. Right. Nor do they work like that. They do in Discovery either. They're not like a roller coaster. Uh, but um, but we won't talk about that. But I love the scene. I just think it's funny and heartfelt, and she's great. You know, obviously she went on to do Cheers for many years. So her her facility with comedy comes really clearly here. But you and know, D Kelly is a national treasure. D Kelly is great, and he always comes in with a very uh, crowd pleasing uh, line that uh, releases the tension and does a really great job. That hits the same way. I know engineers, they love to change things. In Star Trek, the motion picture, it it lands the same way as a joke. But then we go from this sort of funny light scene to like, oh my God, what's going on? There's something wrong on regular one. What could it be? We all know because we've all seen the movie 700,000 times. (laughs) And if you haven't, and you're watching this for the first time, you're crazy. What? What, Darren? What? No, no, I was just saying that uh, even here, uh, they can still have trouble with their cable. <laughs> That's right. I mean, clearly, the DirecTV is not working because they, they, he's getting, he's, but it's being jammed. It's being jammed by sure, the Reliant. Sure, of course, it's being jammed by the Reliant. It is. It's being jammed. I'm jamming the, I'm jamming it. I'm jamming the frequency. The signal is jammed at the source. It's very cold in space. <laughs> Oh my goodness, the con doll. The con doll. Press the press yes. the plastic thing. What plastic? Uh, just the plastic oh. thing there. You know, the red one. This is another great scene, the Universal Armageddon scene. And Absolutely. it's interesting because when D. Kelly read some of the early scripts, he was like, I'm not, because they all had a chip on their shoulder after Star Trek Devotion Picture sure. because it had gotten hit so hard by the critics. You know, look, we would argue it's a great movie, but, you know, obviously it was very criticized. A lot of people, so... You know, they were very when they said, "Oh, we're doing Star Trek 2. Yeah, wanted a paycheck, but they were all very wary, and they started reading some of those early scripts, and like 
you know, D. Kelly was like, I don't even want to do this. You know, right. he was, you know, pretty much retired after Night of Lepus. The only thing he did was Star Trek movies. And then uh, Shatner did not want to play, you know, they talked about how he's getting old and he didn't want to do that. I mean, he had T.J. Hooker. He's a cop jumping on the hoods of police cars. He's like, I don't want to, you know, play this guy who's dealing with his mortality and getting older. But of course, you know, they ended up assuaging his concerns and it's one of his great roles of all time and here we are at spencer gifts right spock, for all of you who remember them all in the 80s spock couldn't afford a chair so he just has to kneel um but that's fine uh, he's okay he's well wearing... somebody can defend that but i'm not going to well of course they have the the lovely uh sparklets uh water truck uh curtain over on the side there with the itic symbol Someone um, just said that in the text really? in here. I'm leaning forward. I'm trying to oh read my all goodness. this stuff. And it says Spock's quarter is more like Penny. Director's cut, recut this. Yes, that's a really good point. The director's cut did recut it, and it's better. And I want to say something. We were given the choice to show the theatrical cut or the director's cut. We chose to do the theatrical cut the way we saw it. Because right. the director's cut isn't really a director's cut. They had come to Nick Meyer and said, hey, you know, they had recut it for ABC. Um, and they said to him, hey, we're going to release this on home video. Um, do you want to do a director's cut? And he said, I'm really happy with the movie, but I understand you want to re-release it with like new footage. So he says, there are a couple things I would change, but I don't consider it a director's cut because the theatrical cut is my director's cut. So, you know, there, so that's why we didn't show the director's cut, but it is the version I think that's on 4k on iTunes. And if you're curious and you haven't seen it, you know, there is the Peter Preston scene. There are a couple other things. There are a couple of different alternate takes. So it's worth having. I have both of them, obviously, because I'm a lunatic. But, um, uh, you know, worth having both versions, the theatrical and the um, uh, and the and the director's. It's called the director's cut, but it's not really. It's not really. Well, I just want to say welcome to a couple of our fans from Ireland and Star Trek Ire. Uh, it's apparently one forty-six a.m. there, so they're oh, they're staying that. up late for us, which is great. That, thank you, guys. You know what? And, and, and let's stop for a second to say thank you, all of you, for being here today. This is so awesome. You know what a great way to spend pandemic quarantine. I'm glad to you see know? so many people here. I mean, I think it's great. And I just, uh, I'm so glad. You know, so, it's so great to celebrate Star Trek because that's what we do on the podcast. And to, to do this, this feels almost like Comic-Con, right. where we're sitting with a couple of thousand people at Comic-Con, celebrating what we love, you know, talking about what we love. And uh, so this is really nice on a Saturday night. Um, you know, I was I was telling Darren that uh, one of my famous uh, Star Trek memories was um, I was with Rob Burnett and some people may know uh, Mojo, the Oscar winning special effects guy and a bunch of other friends. This is back in the 90s and there was a midnight screening of Wrath of Khan. And so unfortunately, I think we had a little too much to drink before we went. But um, it was it was so special because most of us had all discovered Star Trek as kids growing up. And this is a chance for us to all go see it together in a theater. This is before I had done a lot of Q and A's at the Cinematheque with it and everything. And it ended up, we almost got thrown out. I didn't, I was paying attention to the movie, but um, uh, it ended up being something that we used in our movie Free Enterprise. The scene was actually based on that. Um, and uh, it's a very fond memory for me of our younger, more uh, idiotic days. Now Judson Scott there is uh, trying to give uh, Ricardo's pecs a run for their money. But uh, I still think Ricardo comes out in front. Uh, now, we, we will address this because everyone always says to Nick Meyer, and uh, we got asked this question the other day, too. Like, 
you know, is it real or is it prosthetic? And you know what? They're real and they're fabulous. That's right. You know, Thank you for I mean, taking my it. joke. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I'll tell you one of the great memories of, of mine. We were at Chatner's office when we were doing Free Enterprise, and Ricardo Montalbaum called, and Chatner answers the phone. He goes, "Hello, Ricardo," and I'm looking over at Rob, and Rob's looking over at me, and we're so giddy because like it's Chatner and Ricardo on the phone. Kirk and Khan together, and it's just like the movie. They're speaking, but they never meet. So it was just <laughs> like you know, in Wrath of Khan. It was it was such a cool thing. I uh, I like the the uh, cloth uh, overlays they put on the chairs just to change him a little bit from motion picture, just to give him a little a little more mm-hmm. brightness on they the look bridge. Better. And can I say, I mean, I don't want this to become a bag on Star Trek Two thing because I know a lot of you love Star Trek Three. Um, you know, I don't want to bag on Star Trek. But the graphics here in Star Trek are so much better than the graphics in Star Trek Three. With the you know what? Let me hear that. What's is is it talking? Talking? Speaking? Let me hear. Yeah, (laughs) a little bit on the nose there, but that's okay. Uh, Savick is uh, playing Simon apparently. Yeah, Alex says Star Trek Three is really poor in comparison. Don't get us started because we're here to celebrate how much we love Star Trek Two. But if you want to hear what we think of. three and we say it with love because there's a lot to like about the movie but there's a lot not to we did a really fun podcast in search of uh, um and where we talk about star trek three it was our so tough, check that out our tough love episode for star trek three yeah and and, and and you know i tried to yeah now let's darren what can you tell us about this famous scene which is the uh, the genesis uh, wave well the the genesis uh expositionary uh, display here um Coming from the uh, the spot where the torpedo is launched and it hits the uh, planetoid, all of that was generated by a small little section of Lucasfilm at the time called the Lucasfilm Computer Division. And it was run by uh, uh, about, I don't know, four or five people that uh, later were uh, sold off and became Pixar. But this was the first project that they did for a film. And uh, it was, I think, Ed Catmull and uh, uh, a couple of the other guys from... It is the precursor to Pixar. It, it, they, it, they became Pixar. So this is the genesis of Pixar. Genesis? How can you not hear me with your that thing? Um, I saw Mr. Ataz was defending Star Trek Three. Now, Mr. Ataz, don't get us wrong. We, we, we love Star Trek Three, But, you know... Listen to the episode because you'll hear we say it with love. There's a lot that's wrong with that movie, okay? It's uh, but it's it's we're not attacking the movie. We're explaining why these things don't work and why the kind of choices that were so smart in Star Trek Two were not made in Star Trek Three. And there are a lot of reasons for that, which we talk about. So I'm just saying, keep an open mind. Nobody's saying don't love Star Trek Three. That's not what we're saying. We're saying. Anyway, I don't want this to become it's a Star okay. Trek Three conversation. But the, the you know, yes, I, I see. Mag Mag commented, Star Trek Three has Klingons. Yes, we know Star Trek Three has Klingons, but Star Trek is also good when it doesn't have Klingons. That's all we're saying. I mean, that's. I mean, Star Trek has been so great. Well, especially early on in creating so many fantastic races. I mean, you look at the Gorn, the Klingons, the Romulans, and they're all so unique. The yeah. Organians. I mean, it was so imaginative. 
and in terms of conceiving all these incredible um, races. It's not easy. Yeah, it's not easy to create these, um, and to feel um, to feel real and to feel grounded. This, and this scene you were talking about before is our. It's a great TOS scene. It's uh, it's Spock and McCoy arguing about something and disagreeing and kirk is the mediator between them and this it's so great it it captures you can the see spirit Napoleon webb and bread and circuses and any of these these great uh it, it, this captures the dynamic the the spock mccoy dynamic so well in the sort yeah. of befuddled kirk and uh d kelly is just sensational you know in this scene and and Nimoy is just like kicking back, and he has his yeah. like hands folded, and it's just great. I mean, I I think these actors don't get enough credit for how good they are. Right. There's a reason they became icons, you yeah, know. Absolutely. Um, it, they so perfectly embodied these characters, um, and uh, you know I don't think they get the credit they deserve for. The motion picture, but they're all just spe- really spectacular in this movie. So I, I believe we've uh, entered Act Two. <laughs> yes, we have, because we're about to uh, encounter uh, the Reliant. But uh, you know, what does it prove? It proves we should listen to Savic, and it's playing the-, the scary music coming along with it. Yes, indeed, they are. I love the Reliant. I really love the Reliant. It's really cool. But- in fact, I love the Reliant so much. Where is the Reliant? I have it here on a shelf. Oh, somewhere. no. I'm, I'm not going to get it, but I, I love the Reliant. Eagle Moss did a really great uh, version of the Reliant. They did. I wish so I could just, have one of those. I, I got it at Comic-Con last year. I've, they didn't send it to me. Made a I bunch begged of, them. I, made I, a, I begged them. I called for help. I made a bunch of their ships it, for so them. I, I've never gotten anything, and you got a whole shelf full of them. <laughs> I, I, I do. I do. It's one of um, ours. So, yes, because we're one big happy fleet. <laughs> and uh, and this is great. This is something else that Nick did, which was so smart. Because until then, on, uh, whenever you saw view screens, the camera's always zooming, especially if it's an act out where, like, the camera's pushing in on people. Right. And it's from multiple angles. And he would shoot these. He would lock off the camera and just shoot it at one angle the way it would be that, you know, these things wouldn't be directed if right. you were, like, com- communicating. It's like here, like, where we're on, on see Alive, we're stationary, other than my hands, which keep moving around. So um, it, it, it's really great. And, and apparently this thing that uh, Con wore, the insignia pin, kept getting stolen. They had to keep making new ones oh because goodness. everybody on the movie wanted it. Well, it's damn peculiar is what it is. It is. It's damn peculiar. So let's but, talk uh, a little bit. Of, this is the first, uh, uh, well, uh, among the first shots that ILM actually did of the Enterprise. Um, and it looks uh, visibly different than it has in the past and in previous shots in the same film. Spock is very well lit here, by the way. Um, but uh, it is noticeably less uh, uh, shiny. And mm-hmm. it, uh, they did this because ILM did their visual effects in a completely different way than they shot the Enterprise from motion picture. Uh, ILM, if that course, was not ILM, that was Apogee and Doug Trumbull's that, that was yeah. That, that was Doug Trumbull's group that shot the Enterprise for that, but uh, they used blue screen at ILM, and of course, bl- blue screen is incredibly difficult to light and keep the blue from spilling onto the ship. And because the original Enterprise miniature was so very shiny and specular, uh, it kept 
reflecting the blue screen and ruining the matte. So they had to really cover it with uh, uh, matte, matte spray, matte finish, to cut down on all those reflections that was ruining the uh, shots. So it was necessity to uh, re basically cover it with a different coat of paint. Yeah, and I was I was seeing somebody, a happy uh, Howard mentions this, that this is the first time we really see the Enterprise taking damage. And again, this was the other clip you would see on Siskel and Ebert and on you know other reviewers who would review the picture. And it was always like amazing to see the Enterprise getting hit um, yeah. because we'd never seen anything like that before. Of course, I mean, Scotty is wearing his COVID face mask here. So he's, <laughs> yeah, he's in compliance. Right, that's 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 right. That's right. Oh, I see. Uh, which he's a lot better off than in the naked time, where uh, he's taken off the glove in the middle of decontamination when there's a deadly virus circulating. But that's a whole other thing. Uh, Hang on. Um, <laughs> now this is not a great, you know, this series of edits is not great. Um, it's funny on the day they were blowing up the Enterprise bridge, Buzz Aldrin showed up, and you know, he was a big Star Trek fan. And they were like, oh, you can't go on to... Uh, that was actually when they were blowing up the Reliant and doing all this pyro work. And he wanted to see the filming. And they are like, you can't go in there. He said, don't you know who I am? <laughs> I, you know, I'm Buzz Aldrin. And they're like, well, you'll burn up just like the next one. Oh, so it's goodness. like... And he was like really upset. He ended up coming back to go to set. Um, you know, also interesting story. Um, one day, uh, John Belushi came to visit the set of Star Trek II. Of course, John famous from Animal House and the, the Blues Brothers and just, you know, Saturday Night Live. And um, he came because he, he wanted to perfect his Shatner impersonation. So he came and watched Shatner on set all day. And that night, uh, they want, and they wanted to have him sing and play the, do the Blues Brothers at the rap party. And they were going to ask him. And that night was the night he died of a drug overdose oh at the Chateau Mahal. He spent the whole day on the Star Trek set. And then that night he went. I uh, never and, heard and, that. Yeah, yeah. you heard amazing. it here first. I see alive newsflash. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a remarkable uh, uh, story. It's nice how the uh, Reliance um, sensors really frame Khan very nicely for the uh, the view screen. Uh, that's what I'm saying. There's no pushing in. There's no zooming in on a dramatic moment. I like that. Somebody just mentioned that in Into Darkness, you know, uh, Khan's uh, nom de plume is John Harrison. I just want to point out in the original Space Seed script, he was called John Erickson. Erickson, that was right. Erickson, like the Viking. Yeah. And then eventually um, the script uh, from Carrie Wilbur was rewritten by Gene Kuhn and Roddenberry and changed <laughs> mercifully to Khan Noonien Singh rather than John Erickson. And of course, uh, 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 Noonien Singh was uh, the name of, of a fellow pilot of Gene Roddenberry's during the war that he uh, had lost, in, lost touch with and apparently wanted to get back in touch with. And so he put that name in there, hope, hoping that uh, he would, uh, his long lost friend would see this and, and contact him. Apparently it didn't work because he tried it again, uh, naming Data's creator Noonien Singh. You know, um, back in the 60s, we talked about Space Seed. The origin of the Harv Bennett Gene Roddenberry feud started on an ABC pilot that Gene produced for Sam Rolfe, who he'd done Half Gun Will Travel with. And that was a pilot called The Long Hunt of April Savage. And famously, uh, Harv Bennett was an ABC executive at the time. And uh, Roddenberry had him thrown off the set of the pilot. And Bennett was. So, of course, many, many years later, when Bennett was given the uh, franchise and Roddenberry was sort of made the executive consult, 
you have to wonder what uh, Bennett was really uh, thinking if this was sort of retribution for uh, something that he had always resented low those many years ago. Now, we see here on the bridge of the Enterprise, everything is at red alert and they're uh, all bathed in red light. Now, in the early days of home video, this was on VHS and, of course, NTSC video here in the States does not handle red very well at all. So this on VHS looked like a, an unholy mess. It was all smeary and, and uh, indistinct and it just looked terrible. Um, it's worth mentioning, of course, that, um, you know, at the time, home video was in its early years and uh, was a rental business only. And if you wanted to buy stuff was hundreds of dollars. But um, Paramount, in its infinite wisdom, pioneered the sell through model and released Star Trek II and the and Officer and a Gentleman as their first popularly priced uh, uh, releases at the thirty nine ninety five. Now, and I remember saving up my allowance to walk to the video store to buy Star Trek II. And at the time, it was the greatest thing to own Star Trek II because all I had was a cassette recording that I had made in the theater of Star Trek II, which I listened to all the time. And then, of course, famously, it was on ABC. Mark. And like Star Trek motion picture, had all this new footage. Mark, this is the scene that Nick Meyer talks about wearing Shatner down. Uh, yes. He did oh, tell a, us about that. a bazillion takes with Shatner because originally Shatner was basically telegraphing this, this moment. He says, here it comes. But before he was, you know, going like, here it comes, you know, basically telegraphing yeah, yeah. that something crazy was going to happen. Exactly. I, and he, he asked Nick, what, what is it like working with Shatner? And he says, you know, sometimes you know, Shatner likes to warm up on the first take. And he wants you to use the second take and he'll only do a third take if it's like really a good reason. But on this, he would do, here it comes, here it comes, here it comes, oh, here it comes. And uh, and then finally, Nick made him do it so many times. He's like, "Wait, here it comes!" And that's the one that's in the movie. Right. right. And I'll tell you, our experience working with Shatner obviously was great. And you know, we found him very uh, easy to work with, and he would do as many takes as he needed. But it was very that he would need to do more than a couple of takes because he was usually pretty spot on. Some great design shots from ILM and beautiful looking. I mean, that, I think that was one of the first times that a ship's shadow interacted with another ship. Well, part magical. of the way that they were able to bring this movie in on budget was every special effects shot was storyboarded meticulously before they started production. In fact, they had started production on the VIA before they started principal photography. Right. And Mike Miner had done, I believe, the storyboards for Bob Salen. Right. Uh, and, before and they, they had a finished script. Effects. Right. Even before they had a finished script, that's yeah. right. And so they had to match the script to um, some of the special effects, which was a little bit of the Mad Libs of putting all the different uh, teleplays together and uh, the scripts together. And of course, um, it was really challenging because when Nick came on and thought he'd have all this time to do the rewrite, they're like, no, uh, we have to have it. It was sort of like Star Trek The Motion Picture. We have to have it in theaters next June. And ILM needs to have this footage no later than X in order to finish the effects in time. So it was similar to the problem they had with uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture, which is a much happier result. Here's Peter Preston about to wreck Kirk's uh, tunic jacket. Yeah. He gets blood on it. Blood. You got blood on I, my jacket. Mike Eisenman. Now, I... I 
Hackman was also in what was the show that I guys met? Was that Powers of Matthew Star? No, that was uh that? Oh my goodness. That was Justice Scott. It was the it was a Dorothy Fontana show and it had uh Roddy McDowell Fantastic in it. Journey. Fantastic Journey was the name of it. So that was the Bermuda Triangle one. Well, it, yeah. With Jared Martin. And Ike Eisenman yeah. was in that. Because everything in the seventies involved the Bermuda Triangle or Bigfoot. And Jared Martin. And Jared Martin, of course. Of course. Okay, if anyone wants to really hard tech, listen to American Clerks. I'm just trying to read some oh, Witch Mountain. Thank you, Alex. You're absolutely right. He was in the Escape from Witch Mountain. Right. Good, good, good. And Very return good. Oh, to here Witch says, Mountain. Okay, everybody's backstopping. Thank you. Oh, Jordan, thank you. I love you too, man. Appreciate that. So uh what else what, now here we have this this you know high school uh theater set of star trek i'd love to see that remember how those kids did alien in high school oh i'd love to see it in high school i'd version love, of star trek they, they did a, a high school version of alien right yeah so i'd love to see them do a high school version of star trek 2 i think that would be cool i'd okay I'd maybe buy that just for a dollar fifty <laughs> so inflation it's no longer i'd buy that for a dollar now, look at how great this is. Shatner, re Kirk, I should say, yes. realizes that he was a fool not to listen to um, Savick. He can't believe that, you know, his past is coming, at, you know, and they are just and just got away by the skin of their teeth. I mean, right. it, this is so great. And I mean, like Balance of Terror, it is basically a submarine movie, uh, but a great submarine movie, which is why I always say Crimson Tide is a great Star Trek movie. And of course, the bees are very agitated behind Mister Spock there, in their little bees? hive. Yeah, the bee, the glow, the glowing bees in the hive there. I think that looks cool. I think it does I too. Cool. But I see why you would. <laughs> I understand. There's no such regulation. I mean, this is such a great runner with her yeah. quoting regulations. You know, it's just, again, I think she's terrific. And I, I think it was a real loss uh, that she was not in, you know, that she chose not to do um, Star Trek three. I agree. You know? And this is nothing against Robin Curtis because she did, a, she did a good job as well. But uh, Kirstie will always be savvy to me. No, I, I love Robin Curtis. I like her as a person and I like her in the movie, but uh, Kirstie Alley was so great as Savick. And, and it would have been very interesting had she done Valeris the Asavik in Star Trek six. Yeah. Although I would have seen her turn traitor. So in a way I'm glad that Kim Cattrall ended up playing uh, a, a different character. Because that was a, that was a nice Myers hope. Have... What I was, Darren? I was going to say that was a nice new update to the transporter effect. And that was done by Peter Curran and VCE. And uh, it was done separately from ILM, but uh, it's a nice little upgrading of the transporter effect. This is a spooky scene, isn't it? Absolutely. I don't know. I I, I always wondered what, how the rat got out or the mouse got out, but I yeah, I guess they I had mean, experiments on. It was probably in you know the synthostasis lab or whatever that is. Let's see. Yeah, this is this is uh, Robin Curtis was never as good as Saw first the alley. I agree with you, Jimmy Tidwell. These jackets are awesome. I love when they have their away jackets, James Parr. Well, I'll tell you something. I think Kirk's jacket. His members-only jacket in Star Trek Three is the coolest he ever looked, <laughs> but that's probably just me. me to say nothing awesome of Sulu's it. cape. Aaron Walker, I'm just tired of this BS view of Kirk as just a womanizer. Kirk was a brilliant commander. Agreed. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Risk was his business. 
he when you look at the core oh. maneuver look at who's that guy why haven't we seen him out. before where'd he come from yeah and we've always said this on the uh, on the podcast kirk is still friends with all his ex-girlfriends so yeah. he must have been a good guy because you know normally you break up and either you know there's a lot of bitterness and acrimony but like all of kirk's ex-girlfriends except for bb besh kind of still dig him so maybe he was a pretty decent guy i think he was i i like to think that he was um, says the Marius Jen says using horror film tricks here. Love it. Even the music. Yeah, it's creepy. Absolutely. It's scary. Absolutely. Now uh, here's some of that awful equipment. Uh, now um, here we have Walter reuniting with his old captain. cast members. And when all else fails, break it. Yeah. <laughs> when in doubt. That's right. Oh my God. It's uh, Brian uh, uh, Addison says uh, Kirk was a better CO. Didn't have that neither Cisco and Janeway. Well, look, Kirk's obviously our favorite captain too, but I wouldn't bag on uh, Cisco because we love uh, we love Cisco too. But right. uh, I mean, look at the in the pale moonlight; he was a badass, right? But uh, but but Kirk's the man, you know. Uh, here's you know, here's Walter's best scene. Starfleet. Here's Walter's he best scene. He's they made us do things, tell lies, put creatures in our booties. I'm sorry. <laughs> It's good. It's good to see for him to have a chance to do. Let me do something, right, you know, right. because obviously he didn't have a lot. I mean, he he had a thankless role in um, the Way to Eden, you know, which is an awful episode, which right. was a big episode for you know Specter the Gun. He has a little bit to do in, which is nice, but you know, obviously, who moans for Adonis? But he didn't have a lot to do. He certainly didn't have a lot to do in Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Um, so it's nice to see him get something and 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 go to town with it. You know, if anyone was upset, obviously, as people know, George Takei was upset. Because uh, he didn't have much to do in the movie, and then the one scene where he felt like he, he did, he you know he famously tells the story how he feels he was undermined by uh, Bill Shatner's performance, which is maybe one of the most you know ridiculous things. I don't know. I think I, I, it's I don't a, think it's true. It's a good time now to talk a little bit about how Gene Roddenberry was sort of removed from action on this film. Um, Famously, after Star Trek The Motion Picture, he got most of the blame for the overages and the uh, script problems and all of that, as as a producer, you know, normally does. And that's understandable. Of course, uh, they, you know, wanted to sort of move on without him because they felt that uh, he was too close to the material and had too much of a possession of it. And so they wanted to sort of step him away, and they used the, quote, interpreted uh, less than sterling returns on motion picture that they claimed, even though that's not true. Uh, they used that to sort of uh, shuffle him into the uh, executive consultant role. And there's, a, there's an interesting section, Mark, in your book that I have here that you shared with me. My book? You mean your, your the 50-year mission? Now from uh, uh, St. Martin Press. Uh, the hardcover uh, version came a few years ago. Paperbacks out in audio and digital wherever you buy fine books during quarantine. That's okay, the go one. Ahead, That's the one. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you have a blurb from a, uh, a memo that uh, Roddenberry sent to Harve Bennett. And uh, I'm just going to read a little bit of it here as Gene Roddenberry. Um, it starts, 
You have never requested nor even made it possible for me to act in any way as executive consultant on this movie or even as infrequent advisor. You did not ask my comments on the story, neither did you ask for my comments on the writers selected. We never discussed director, other than your calling me the day before his name was announced, although I may have sometimes wondered if you could not have profited from at least some of my experience. I'm neither embarrassed nor annoyed over the way you clearly preferred for it to be. You're the man running the Star Trek II movie, and I accept your right to run it this way. Uh, he goes on a little bit to uh, say, if Star Trek slides into becoming just a routine space battle show, then I have no doubt that Star Trek will slide downhill rapidly. In this case, I'm doubly concerned because I have an interest in this property remaining valuable. However, there are some areas of script comment which I consider the most important of all. Examples of these are things like Star Trek avoiding the use of violence in story situations, maintaining the importance of the prime directive, continuing our reminders that yeah, to be I, different does I, not mean that I, I something is ugly. Because I just want to point out the scene be the worst action scene in the history of Star Trek, and it was reshot. Right. They, they, they actually, this. It was so bad, they reshot it again, and it's even worse the, in the, the second time. I, I, this scene is dreadful. Yeah, and, he, anyway. and, and it's all cut short. And interesting, that the, that box comes from Bellus 4, which, uh, Bellus, of course, is the name of one of the planets in uh, uh, the old 50s movie uh when worlds collide. Mm. Oh, that's right. You know, it's also worth mentioning that uh, there's an episode that Carrie Wilbur did of Captain Video that actually uh, is very similar to Space Seed that I think, uh, you know, no good idea goes unrecycled. Um, uh, in fairness, these guys are scientists, not trained fighters, says Ibril. Yeah, you're not wrong. True. But it's still a terribly... Insane. Of course, they're... John Carney... They're also oh, actors. I read... Uh... They're also yeah, but come on, Star Trek had great fight scenes throughout its three years on the air, and uh, that's not one of them. Now but it looks like great. that that was a communicator that uh, Khan had on SETI Alpha Five that he brought along with him because it was ooh, ouch! I hate when that happens. But uh, yeah. Terrell you know, makes it's funny very... that the communicators, the communicators and the phasers look like they're from Forbidden Planet instead right. of from. I mean, they're really well. The phasers are good. right from uh, motion picture, motion picture. But, yeah, uh, but the communicators, the communicators are them amazingly uh, goofy. But that's all right. Yeah. It, it looks like the guy behind Khan is wearing a peanut costume. <laughs> let's, I don't know. Let's see if we see him again. Looks like he's wearing a Mr. Peanut Khan, costume. Khan's, uh, but uh, you know, he, you know, the Enterprise did a you know augments episode also where they had like genetically engineered supervillains, and I guess um, you know you, you go like down the you have to go to a gym in West Hollywood to find these people because all don't look they don't look like you know the people in Space Seed in Space Seed they actually cast a bunch of gymnasts and um, uh, um, uh, and and, and it, they have, it's like there was a good look to them and it just seems on this one it's like. Oh, it just, they don't seem quite right the um, in this and in the augments. Uh, now here, just don't. Here's the scene that we're setting ahead. up that uh, that Roddenberry had a, a big disagreement with, that the fact that uh, after this creature comes out of Chekhov's ear, 
that Kirk immediately just kills it. Yeah. Roddenberry really resented this. Yeah. And he sent memos about it. And he continued to talk about this on the convention circuit for a long time. He felt that we would never destroy a life form. We would try and study it. Now, the fact that it just came out of his ear and almost killed him and, uh, you know, uh, because and then he would point out how there was this famous model kit of um, of uh, Spock firing his phaser at this three headed Hydra snake and how he always hated that and he would never allow that today. And he felt that this was evocative of that model kit, um, which is interesting. But uh Ah, here, what, probably the most famous scene in the movie coming up right now. Still, old friend. Match kill just about everyone else. But you keep on missing the target. And, of course, Model Bond's acting in this is so great because it, it really shows, you know, it shows the range of his uh, paranoia and craziness and his determination. It's really great. Well, Nick Meyer talks about the fact that or it was Bob Salen, actually, that after uh, some of the actors came to Daly's and saw the performance that Ricardo was giving, it really upped their game. Because they said, oh, man, he's so good. Like, we're going to have to take this more seriously. Absolutely. And he said their performances got better. <laughs> well, a high tide ra- yeah, rises all ships, so. Yeah, right. That's a, that's a good way of putting it. Look at, look at this performance by Matalbaum. He's so good. And again, for those of you who are alive, remember, this is a guy every Saturday who was, you know, f- f- smiles, everyone smiles. I mean, he could not have been different. And even, you know, back before that in the 50s, he was mostly, you know, in movies like um, The Latin Lover, like in Raul, Raul Walsh movies, and right. Mervyn LeRoy, and, um, you know, a couple of small noirs, but you know, nothing that would indicate that he had this in him, the Shakespearean villain. I mean, it's just fantastic. There and it course, is. He doesn't. There he doesn't is, say baby. "con" over and over again. That's just. That's just the echo in space. That's your dollar ninety nine right there. Worth it just for that. Yeah. Even if you think Darren and I have been worthless this whole hour and a half, you just got to see Shatner say "con." It's worth it. It's and great. who knows? You've probably already turned our volume down. You know, hours ago. Because it's just so. It's so awesome and so memorable. And um, you remember the Saturday Night Live skit, Darren? What we, because, of course, the, the famous one that everyone remembers is, is the, uh, the first skit. which The is Belushi the, um, one. Just get a life, you know. Oh, right, uh, right, that one. Colossal waste of time. But, but the but, Restaurant um, Enterprise sketch. Restaurant Enterprise. Is amazing. You, did you break your little earphones? I guess you did. Um, yeah, the, the right, I, lo- I, I, lost, I lost transmission. Well, we're, Transmi- we're back. Comms now. are down. Comms are down. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it was it was amazing. Uh, uh, I think that uh, Kevin Nealon was Spock, and uh, Shatner, of course, was Kirk, and he was the uh, the head of this. The Enterprise had been turned into a full service restaurant, and we see it opening with the uh, Enterprise spinning around like a like a theme theme restaurant like you would see uh, on a uh, on the top of a building someplace but it's incredibly hilarious uh, it's really hard to find on YouTube cuz they take it right down uh, and it's question. it's tough to why find why has Shatner never hosted Saturday Night Live again he was so good yeah. it wasn't just 
um, the Get a Life bit, which was great. But then he did the Ollie North bit, which was mm -hmm. hysterical. The music, and he did the T.J. Hooker spoof, where he's riding the, the hood of the car. Right. Um, and he's just so funny. And it's amazing to me that you know during the heyday of Boston Legal and other movies that he's had coming, that he's never been on Saturday Night Live again. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah, see the mute marine, right? Right? Am I right, Mike? Yan correct. Mike Yankee, Mike Lima, Danny Crane, Danny Crane. So, uh, and you know, and I, obviously, we we just uh, Shatner's hysterical, and that's why we cast him for Enterprise. I mean, that's why we wrote for Enterprise for him because we just think he, you know, this is before he was known for his facility with comedy. I mean, we knew it because of Saturday Live and because of Piece of the Action and I Mud and. Right. Uh, and Fridays, he was great on uh, the old Canadian show Fridays as well. So, this now this scene is really another great piece of acting. Yeah, where he's talking about feeling old and used up, and you've shown me a man out there who wants to kill me, and you know the whole thing where he's reunited with his son, which seemed like a pretty daring thing. Okay, you know when you Kirk was the Caesar of the stars, going around you know knocking up women left. But the fact that the show had the audacity to deal with the repercussions that he had an illegitimate son. Also, how does that impact the image of Kirk as a hero that he abandoned, you know, a son and didn't help raise him? But of course, we mitigate that by basically Carol Marcus saying she didn't want right. um, him in her life uh, because, you know, he would always be globetrotting around the galaxy. Um, it's a very interesting, I think, audacious choice. And it's funny because I've said that a couple of times when I interviewed Nick Meyer. I said, you know, I feel like it was a very audacious choice. And he didn't find audacious at all. He said, no, of course. He slept around. Of course he would have the illegitimate kids. And we didn't really feel it was, like, risky or in any way going to damage the character. But I felt in 1982 that it was. Yeah. Um, that's when I wasn't watching Poltergeist. <laughs> because, of course, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, opened June 4th, 1982, the same day as Poltergeist. That was an incredible month um, because you, you had the Sophie's Choice of Star Trek II and Poltergeist, although it wasn't really much of one because, of course, you're going to go see Star Trek II. But then, you know, a week later, you had E, e you had The Thing open a week after that. You had Blade Runner. Earlier in the year, you had Conan. Rocky Three opened that year. It's a remarkable, remarkable year of genre films. And I'm not even scratching you. The Road Warrior. I mean, the list goes on, including Megaforce and so the Sword he, to Sorcerer. Here's the really reveal of the Genesis Cave that is, uh, you know, truly a, a miraculous uh, reveal. I'd like to know where the sunlight's coming from, but that's okay. It's, it's beautiful. <laughs> well, this is what happened. The, the, when they screened it, it looked awful. It still looks, you know, obviously there's shots where it still looks awful. It looks like they it was rushed. They, they reshot some of this and re-edited it to, to, to do what they could. This is what I, I like to call the, I don't this is what I like to call the just, beer sign shot. It looks like a, a beer sign that you can find in a bar. I mean, look, this is, this is where, you know, you either go with the movie or you don't. We come from a generation where if the drama, writing, and the performances, you overlook this stuff because we grew up watching, you know, War of the Worlds and When the Worlds Collide on the 4:30 movie and 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 stuff like that. But there's an audience now that that and they find it and they just laugh. But that's ridiculous. You know, I find you know the beginning of Revenge of the Sith where you have 9,000 ships and you can't even figure out which one is shooting at what, what's going on. That to me is hokey, as opposed to this. There's actually drama going on here. So here's I mean, the, this is great. Look at this. More... Look at the dirty over on the shot. 
It's it's great. And yeah, it, I mean, this is so you've never seen anything like this in Star Trek before. For those who don't know what a dirty I mean, over means, that means uh, the over the shoulder yeah. shot where you see some of the person talking to the person that we're focused on. And what's so fantastic uh, is Kirk's losing. Kirk is getting his butt kicked right, right. now. You know, we've never but, seen that. You know, his confidence is completely gone. And, and you know, I think that, uh, you know, Savik, uh, this is, you know, she has a lot more respect for her mentor Spock than for Kirk at this right. moment. This is the moment where it all changes. Now, look at that communicator. That's awful, isn't it? It's terrible. That that would be the first the first Star Trek prop that I never wanted to own. <laughs> and you yet know? they sold them. They they sold I, versions of those. I can't believe it because it's terrible. And this is the first time I, I think that we saw movement within the transporter effect and certainly talking. So how can you talk while you're being transported? I found that fascinating. Hey, Jordan, Jordan Courier, a fan of ours from the uh, podcast, is asking, was B.B. Betch ever considered for Star Trek Three? And yes, she was. Mm -hmm. um, she was considered, in fact, and eventually um, that the treatment returned to Genesis, mutated into Search for Spock, and Harv Bennett realized that there was no place uh, because it, 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 if, if he basically uh, um, said David was responsible for proto-matter, he'd have to deal with what was Carol Marcus's role. Right. So he said the best thing is not to have Carol Marcus in the movie. And then he had to tell B.B. Besh, who was heartbroken, that she wasn't going to be in Star Trek Three. So uh, it's actually a very good question. It's funny because when we were auditioning for Free Enterprise, there was a point at which it was instead of Eric McCormick and Rafer Weigel, it was going to be uh, Christian Slater and Samantha Mathis. And Samantha Mathis came in to meet with us and she was like, you know, B.B. Besh was my mom. Why do you think we brought you in to play this role? Of course we know. <laughs> and uh, we said, you know, we, we love B.B. Besh. And we did. And it was uh, sad. She died uh, way too young. Yeah. Now, of course, one, another one of the great effect sequences is the Mutara Nebula. What a way to make space look interesting as opposed to a bunch of stars, you know, and to do to be able to do a submarine movie Absolutely. You know, using the Mutara Nebula. It's so clever. It, it gives the ability to sort of hide in space, and, which is essential in a submarine sequence. Now, it says they reused that red alert shot from the motion picture. Absolutely. That is, uh, true. But at least they didn't use that guy's voiceover. The ship is on red alert. Edition <laughs> red. The ship is on red alert. It's like now, I can't. I can't hear the captain. The guys, the computer is. Talking. Take a look at the guy. I, we'll see him a little later. He's in the the uh, the photon torpedo tubes. He's standing in the center. He's right there. Look at him in exactly. the center. He's standing there and he's looking around, giving orders, but he doesn't seem to know what he's doing. We'll come back him. He's little looking Jamie around. Horner. He has no idea what he's doing there. Uh, do I look this way? Do James I look Warner's that way? Yeah. What's going on? I, I love that guy. Again, this is a terrible set, you know, <laughs> and it just shows the the the, um, the money. Uh, you know, I look. I was not a fan of the whole photon torpedoes at the time being tor actual torpedoes. I always thought they were energy, you know. But uh, I've over time come to accept it. Absolutely. But the, but the, the, the photon the photon torpedo tube was a rework of the Klingon set from Motion Picture. Right. Right. Look at the Reliant, and look at regular one. I mean, look, so that's a great looking planet. Look at these ships. I could just sit and look at these ships all day. <laughs> Star Trek Two is the best soundtrack, says Jimmy Tidwell. Jimmy, we'd have to do 
agree with you on that. Star Trek the motion picture, hands down, but Star Trek two it's is a, a strong number score, two. As is James score for Star Trek three. Um beautiful shots, Karen, yes, absolutely. The music does make it, Alex. Um if it was just photons, then you'd have two energy weapons, sort of repetitive. I was 10, okay? When I was 10, I thought it was done. I still don't like it that much. I still think it's better when it's photons. Whatever. So now look at this. This is just gorgeous. I mean, yeah. what's great about all these shots is they all look like they could be paintings. Right. Uh, now, Gene Roddenberry, to his credit, also had a problem with David wearing the sweater around his neck. Right. He thought it was very contemporary. Absolutely. He also hated the no smoking time. Now that's a weird cut. We see him in sick bay, and then suddenly he's on the bridge. Right. Um, but uh, the no smoking sign on the bridge. Now I have to tell you, and we've done this a little bit on the show, and we will do it again. Gene Roddenberry's notes are very astute, particularly on Star Trek Three, for all the things that he had made hay out of that were a little, you know, you know, a little bit overly possessive. He really understood the franchise in so many ways and had great stuff. And it's a shame that. And him couldn't find a meeting of the minds because right. I think because he wasn't the two wrong of them, all the time. Both, Absolutely, he wasn't wrong all the time. That's for sure. Love these shots of the Enterprise. Says uh, C10 fit. Uh, let's see, Alex. When you were a kid, you were freaked out seeing the Enterprise getting hit. I'm still freaked out seeing right. the Enterprise getting hit. That's my. That's our baby. I still Star Trek Three is just. I mean, I think Scott Mance was the one who said it's sadder seeing the Enterprise die than it is seeing Spock die in Star Trek Two. And you that's know what? That's how I, I felt. Yeah. I do agree with you, Scott Mance, with the great movie Mance, who may or may not be watching. Oh, wait, Alex just said, oh, no, not Mance. Um, <laughs> let's see. Yeah, Kirk plays Khan like a violin. Again, that goes to being he knows how to manipulate people, whether it's pretending that there's corpomite aboard the ship that will destroy anybody that attacks them. It's that great scene in the Deadly Years where he, he uses Code 2 so the Romulans will overhear what he's communicating to Starfleet or taking advantage of uh, the ego uh, that Khan has to manipulate him to doing what he wants him to do it's it's just you know you, you, this is why captain kirk is one of the great characters of all time in literature and star trek is literature you know he's up there with sherlock holmes he's up there with hamlet i mean it captain kirk is is just and and, and that's why you know like those characters of sherlock holmes who've been played by many actors captain kirk can be played by other actors but the greatest will always be william shatner and no one will ever touch him Back there on the wall behind uh, one of Khan's aides, there are uh, trays for cassettes and film strips that you would find, at least we would, in school when you would go to the school library and check out film strips and play a cassette along with them. But the trays for those are back on the, on the wall. Cygnus 5150, who I'm not sure if they named after the star or they're named after the ship from the Black Hole. I'm hoping <laughs> it's the Black Hole. Uh, says, did Nichelle ever feel she was underutilized? Yes, Nichelle absolutely was very upset that she was underutilized, which is partially why in Star Trek Three you see the supporting characters, or as Shatner once referred to them, the Seven Dwarves, getting so much more to do in Star Trek Three, right. And they, we just particularly during Steel and the Enterprise, because the supporting cast was upset that they didn't get more to do. And it works in Star Trek Three. Unfortunately, where it doesn't work, is in Star Trek Six, right? And here they have to adjust their antenna. They're not getting good the cable. <laughs> um, you know, they can't find the Reliant. Whoops, missed it by that much. When are we doing commentary on the black hole, Darren? Um, how about never? Does never work for you? Man, I'll find somebody <laughs> else. I, I just. Uh... 
I, I think the time has come. <laughs> what disappoints me on the, By the way, uh, on the bridge set that some people out there are, are besmirching Star Trek Five. I want you to know that it is our goal to do one of these commentaries, a midnight commentary on Star Trek Five, not at five o'clock. We want to do a midnight screening of Star Trek Five, and I, will, I think it could be so much fun. You know, it, it is. You know, I've done a lot of these com, um, introductions and Q and A's at the Cinematheque for a lot of the Star, and I always beg them, let me do Star Trek Five. Let me, let do, me do something. something. And they always like, no, nobody ever comes to those. It has to be, you know, Star Trek one and two and three and four and six. I'm like, come on. So you I'm, have I'm to, dying to do Star Trek five. You have to look with better eyes than that. Exactly. Here, Khan Thank is you. demonstrating his superhuman strength by lifting the aluminum foil set piece off of his son. Joaquin. And again, engineering, we've never seen this. You know, we got to get the mains back online and it's radiation and all this stuff. We've never seen this room. We never will again. But uh, it works. It all works. Because, of course, you have to separate Spock and Kirk during that penultimate moment. Uh, um, But again, not one of my favorite sets, but the drama character. And that's what's important. Um, they never say that See, Joaquin now, is Khan's son, but it's completely intimated in some reference that I remember reading somewhere. But it makes sense. It's probably in the novelization yeah. Donda McIntyre. Yeah. I don't remember. Now, what, I was going to say, I was gonna say before that on the wall there uh, in on the bridge are these very contemporary fire extinguishers that uh, I find appalling. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, the, the thing, the reason they changed, you know, and it's... The costume designers, the same costume designer as Star Trek The Motion Picture, it's Bob Fletcher, that, um, the, you know, but one of the things that Nick Meyer could only do so much because he didn't have a lot of money, but one thing he really wanted to do was change the costumes. And he did believe that Star Trek was nautical. Yes. And uh, he wanted it to be uh, more nautical and, and, and wanted to go back to its roots as Horatio Hornblower. And so these costumes, which ended up becoming enduring because they're in many more movies and then they find their way in. Uh, a couple episodes of Next Generation. Right. Well, um, is uh, is Bob Fletcher at his finest? I mean, these are beautiful costumes. Not the Star uh, Starfleet pajamas as they were often mocked in Star Trek One. Well, I like those uniforms too. I know you do. I, know you do. <laughs> I don't dislike them, but I I, I I love the new costumes in Star Trek too. I, I I've um, never never been a fan of the uh, of the maroons. This is this is lovely, yeah, yeah. and a lot of this was shot sure. in a, in a tank. Zone. The what? What? <laughs> I said you like Earth Zone, right? In Space Seed, Khan's people were of various ethnicities. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. You know what? That's a really good point. And, and and that was what obviously was so great: the diversity of the original Star Trek. And you're absolutely right in the casting. And you know, I I would love to talk to Bob Salen or Eddie Egan. You know, if they have any thoughts about that, because it's true, Khan's crew is not very in um uh, uh in this movie um but i think I, the casting was off on them completely they all seemed to come out of central casting right <laughs> there didn't, didn't seem to be a lot of effort that went into casting cons uh cons eugenic i guess also since th- their idea of eugenically enhanced was aryan you know right. they're all like sort of blonde and blue-eyed and beautiful but you know but the great thing uh, about uh, about original series was that Human beings, humanity was not divided by race at that point, even in Khan's time, apparently. Right. You're an excellent tactician. <laughs> you. 
Now, it looks that... like the Reliant is pretty much screwed at this point. But Khan still has Theo, a little Khan, bit left in him. Beautiful. This is the Wrath of Khan, not TNG's Justice. I will tell you about Justice. I remember I was on the set the episode after Justice, and Jonathan Frakes told me on the set of Two Short Seasons, you should have been here last week when we did the Edo Planet. That was the week to be here. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> All right, Ricardo, uh, no, raise is... your hand. Shake it a little bit. All right, pop up. And, oh. Still, this reveal is a very powerful reveal. It is. You know, you know when you see him hard and, um, you know, basically, you know, dying and, and, and then, uh, you know, and then quoting, uh, of course, Ahab. you know, Shakespeare. So Ahab, right. That's right. Mo and it's interesting because the Moby Dick references and the Tale of Two, the Dickens Tale of Two Cities references, Shakespeare references, in this all work. Whereas in Star Trek Six, it's overdone. It's and, a little and, forced and, in and, Six, and... yeah. Good thing Khan has that glove on. Well, you know, he's going for the Michael Jackson thing. Um, <laughs> crispy Khan, yes, indeed. Uh, the Salon episode is good, Billy York. Yeah, I, I think so too. If you haven't listened to Bob Salon did an interview with the, him and he's really the unsung hero of these movies. I don't know if we talked about him enough during this, but um, you know, Bob really was, you know, more than just a line producer. He was a producer who kept this movie going, who was always, you know, Hart Bennett was off doing a woman called Golda in Europe. And so the man who was really running things on a day-to-day -day basis, once uh, the movie left pre-production was Bob Salon. He was truly and the driving force behind this that insti instigated a lot of the uh, main choices. Yeah, and of course he was the one who famously shot the ending of the uh, that Nick Meyer didn't want them to do right. because after they tested it and really and Nimoy realized he had a good time and wanted to come back and direct Star Trek Three potentially and um, they realized that it was a, too much of a bummer that that Kirk was uh, Spock was you know dead dead that they added the remember and um, the uh, casket on the uh, Genesis planet and Bob Salen shot that in Golden Gate Park uh, because uh, Nick Meyer wanted to have nothing to do with it. Now, you'll recognize some of these graphics from the motion picture. That was uh, an osmotic micropump, or I guess that's what we're seeing next. There it is. That's the osmotic micropump from the ILEA probe. Right, because uh, that was one of, you know, I just realized that because that, of course, is one of um, Majel Barrett's lines in that's right. uh, motion picture. She's not in this. No. Go figure. Huh. Wonder why. Now, this is a good moment for Nimoy. This is where Spock realizes that he is the key to getting out of there and but his, there his sacrifice. In this movie, and simple, but more powerful than when Kirk looks over and sees the empty chair. And I think yeah. particularly in, in, in uh, after, you know, in light of uh, Leonard's death, it's a very, in real life, Absolutely. it's such a powerful image, empty chair. It really is heartbreaking. I actually find it harder to watch the movie now that Leonard's passed away than when he was alive. I agree. It's a lot more uh, meaningful. You know, and he's he was such a remarkable man, and he gave so much to Star Trek. And, you know, having spent some time with him, I just found him absolutely extraordinary. I didn't always agree with his interpretation of, of, of Star Trek, but um, right. uh, what a performance. Absolutely. And, and what, uh, what, you know, what a, a smart uh, a smart man he was. And just... Uh, Again, as much as Kirk is a uh, an icon, you know Spock obviously is is, is a remarkable character, equal to uh, equal to Kirk. Those big Mickey Mouse gloves. 
Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. It's true. Oh, good. Here, it's radiation. This- now we know what it is. Now we know. It's always good to have signs lighting I, up. Saying this things. is, you know, it's Every- a it's an emotional moment. It's a it's a tense moment, but. I find it incredibly comedic when Spock lifts the lid off that and starts to mix matter and antimatter with his gloved hands. The whole sequence, if it wasn't for the performance and the music, it would be a joke. Absolutely. Because you have Ewan, who's way over the top, yep. who gets neck pain. She's up in a second. Uh, work faster! And I don't know what he's doing. And it's just like, I mean, I just, this is such a, the set isn't good. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. This is how you, you know, uh, uh, repair the engines, yeah, and it just it looks like a disco. Nope. I mean, there's so much. It shouldn't work, right? It shouldn't but work, it does. but it does it because does. because of the the filmmakers and the way that you can sort of yeah. Here he is. Oh, <laughs> it, it it could be comedic, but it doesn't go into that area because of the deft handling by Nick Meyer and the editor. Yeah, absolutely. And this is just an extraordinary piece of music, especially when it kicks in there, when you see the Genesis device and the transport and these slow push-ins on everyone. Yeah. And then there's the sweater, you know, in the style of the the 1980s. Everybody had a sweater wrapped around them, the preppy look. And, uh, you know, Gene was right. It's it's a stupid look. Yeah, it really takes me out of it. Merritt Buttrick and Shatner didn't get along, and that's one of the sad things about this movie because you don't really send have a sense of them bonding, right. you know, and you don't really have a sense of them as father and son. And he doesn't look like a young Shatner, and um, it's unfortunate because uh, really felt like the relationship could have been better, could have been stronger. Yeah. There he is quoting Moby Dick. Yeah, so great, so great. <coughs> Pardon me. And, you know, this is what was so great about Nick Meyer is that he didn't condescend and think, oh, this is some sci-fi thing. He he, he used the classic. That's a terrible graphic. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> the, it's like an Atari 2600 game. And, um, uh, you know, he used, you know, all his touchstones uh, to really create a story that, you know, stands the test of time. Now this is cool too. The the Genesis wave. This explosion is sort of redolent of what Joe Viscosi did with the Death Star before Lucas ruined it with that stupid rainbow. Yeah, it's a it's a zero g explosion, meaning they have an explosive charge on the ceiling and they aim the camera up at it so that all the debris comes down or toward us. And of course, it's augmented by matte painting. Yeah, and then there's a nice little dissolve here, and and some beautiful music. And no, the planet doesn't appear out of nowhere. That is uh, the planet that Regular One was in orbit around. Is that right? I didn't know that. Yeah. I thought it was all the matter that was being turned into a planet by... um, But okay, cool. It could be. I mean, they're they're close enough. And they're going at warp speeds. I, I, I buy it. I'll, I'll, I'll buy that for a dollar. There's the shot. Um, Spock's empty yeah, station that, and the realization. Fantastic shot. shot. Just just so powerful. So powerful. And uh, here we go. You know, the death of Spock. And you can't look. Obviously, you know, it's sort of like I am your father. Everyone knows now, so it doesn't have the impact it had. But, you know, when this came out in 1982, um, the you know, the, people were in tears in the theater. I mean, people Absolutely. Were, 
you know, really upset. And it was very, very powerful. Um, you know, because also sequels weren't as common. So, you know, you thought you didn't know that Leonard was going to be back. And right. Spock was going to be back. You thought this could be it. And, you know, uh, Shatner plays it with such conviction. You really feel it. Now, who's that guy in front of Shatner? Yeah, who's the guy in front of Shatner yeah, that we're just seeing the top of his head? And now he gets know. out of the way. <laughs> yeah, best scene in the movie, says Erica. Eric. Uh, uh, Russell says, who's that guy? That's what we're wondering. Yeah, the, the, the latter moment's great. Shatner never misses a chance to make a, a moment out of uh, even something like running from the bridge. Now, here's, uh, a, here's a great uh, sort of double take that makes us think that Spock is all right. Uh, Nimoy yes. stands up and adjusts his tunic which is and one of the things great. I got a laugh in the theater when he you know bumps into the glass, and I think it's just tragic. I yeah. think it's horrible. You know, it's like so sad. And you know, I mean, I always gets a little. I, and maybe it's because people are uncomfortable, right? Um, you know, because they know what's going to happen. But I, I don't. I don't find that funny at all. I, I find it really sad. Um, uh, Bill York says best scene in many movies. Um, RKL Pictures. I was a thirteen-year-old blubbering mess. Um, <laughs> I still, again, I still, it was like the Enterprise blowing up. I, there must be something wrong with me because that was, that really hit me harder. I, and it was also the, that music, that James Horner music when the Enterprise, when the drums come in, those big, you know, drums come, drum roll comes in when the Enterprise is burning up. Oh, I, that kills me. Yeah. Anyway. Um, I, I love Nimoy's voice in this. I always like to do that voice. Yes. 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 Of the many. Oh, here we are. Look at this, Max. Uh, Max Cervantes, our old, your old friend from Icons. Why did Hallmark make an ornament of a death scene? That's a good question. <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> um, and and he fixes his uniform. It's like in Goldeneye when Pierce adjusts his tie underwater. No, not quite. Um, but uh, speaking of James Bond, have I mentioned? Oh no, my new yet. book. Nobody does it better. Okay, maybe this is the wrong scene for that. This is the wrong moment. Yeah, absolutely, I love those panels behind Spock. Says Junk Mail. Um, yes, your book, Alex says. Did I mention my book? Yes, uh, the book. Now, why doesn't Kirk cry in the scene? Makes me mad. Yeah, but you know what? He does cry it during the um, uh, uh, Amazing Grace scene. So yeah, uh, I, I think I you know look, I think Kirk is still focused on saving his ship, and uh, you know he, he's taking it all in and hasn't quite hit him yet. Right. Because it's always turned death into a fighting chance for life. Because still, um, Kirk doesn't realize that he's losing Spock until the very last minute. He still, um, he still thinks that Spock's uh, going to pull out. Oh, Dave Rogers is out there. He wants to know if Ed Gross and I will do a black hole book. The answer is no. But I would like to do black hole commentary if I could convince Darren. <sighs> it's black hole commentary the without way, me, so I'm afraid. They, re they changed... Um, uh, the nudity on Daryl Hannah in Splash because they don't want to have a, a PG movie with nudity. I actually really ha have a problem with that. I do that too, they... but this is neither the time nor place. We're celebrating, uh, we're memorializing now, Spock. Scene. This is a very powerful scene, of course. And I think, again, nothing more powerful than when the bagpipes transition to the orchestral version yeah. of Amazing Grace, which, of course, is on the La La Land Records uh, version of uh, the soundtrack, which if you don't have, you should get. It's phenomenal. All the La La Land uh, Star Trek uh, releases are phenomenal. This is um, a great scene. And, uh, you know, the bagpipe, again, sometimes gets laughs, but it seems appropriate. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, Kirk does break up. He can't finish his speech. And that's understandable. Of my uh, friend. 
Here's where he breaks it down. Yeah. You know, and I, I think it's legitimate. I, I again, just really powerful acting uh, from everyone across the board, you know, particularly Shatner, who just completely commits. Yeah. Um, a collecting track uh, fan of the podcast says uh, the bagpipes don't really work. I understand that. I wouldn't argue that they do. Uh, the expanded soundtracks are amazing, says Junk Mail. Absolutely. Um, uh, good to see so many familiar faces, or I would say uh, Twitter handles or everything on here. Um, you know, would Spock be considered an insult to be called human as film? No, I think ultimately, before question. I don't think before so, Star Trek the Motion love. Picture, he would have been, but not that's after Star point. Trek the Motion Picture. That's a good point. That's a good point, Darren. I, uh, I remember people were initially wondering why Savik was crying since she was part Vulcan. But as we know, she's also part Romulan. Um, uh, yeah, so a great shot, says John Carney. Mr. Ataz comes in with the half Romulan. You can always count on the library coming in with Mr. Ataz <laughs> for A to Z. All our yesterday's great concept, not skillfully executed. Um, the witch stuff in, in that episode is awful. I wish Merritt Hartley would do commentary on all our... Maybe we can get her to. This is sad. Breaking the glasses, which yeah. he sells in Star Trek 4, which is probably the best scene in Star Trek 4. Such a great scene that Nick Meyer wrote in Star Trek 4. It's, it's simple and subtle, but very effective when he goes to sell the glasses. And it's great in time after time. And it's great in time after time as well. <laughs> yes, it is. Um... Boy, I, I this does look like thank God it's Friday, doesn't it? This uh, you know, Kirk's quarters is very uh late seventies, early eighties, but but you know, better than Spock's. It's like a champagne room. It's like a champagne room, yes. Yeah. I just don't feel the connection between these two. But uh, this is not a bad scene, and at least he doesn't have the sweater around his neck. Yeah. And it's it's uh it's it is touching. The the moment between them is is good. They're, you know, sort of uh resolution of their uh, relationship and it's so great i love the fact that you know obviously the tv show kirk is always triumphant you know with notable exceptions like sitting edge of forever some would say reckoning from methuselah but it's great that he's being called out you know this whole kobayashi maru that you know he cheated death that he changed it that he always found a way to win and here you know he pays the ultimate price he couldn't figure a way out of it he had to sacrifice what's most him in order to survive and it's 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 really great and, and really just um honest drama it's 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 great filmmaking and great writing and in the novel i believe that uh, uh kirk's son had somewhat of a a, a relationship with savick or at least a, a friendship and uh apparently in talking with yes. her he learned more about who kirk actually was Yes, I believe that was in the uh, in the novelization. Um, yeah, I mean, this is nice when he says he's proud to be his son and everything. This, this, yeah. These are these are nice moments. It's you know, very these, touching. This denouement, these little epilogues. You know, because the movie, in a way, is kind of over. But this is, I think, important important stuff for for Kirk. Yeah, you know, important resolution for Kirk. You know, and that's why I think we've talked about, you know, was it the right decision to bring Spock back? You kind of had to, but in a way, it's like it diminishes his sacrifice by bringing Spock back. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and what this meant. And I think that's one of the reasons why we have issues with Star Trek Three, among others. Well, and the, we've talked about this before on our uh, Star Trek Three episode, but the because the attitude at the end of this is, you know, kind of uplifting, even in the shadow of Spock's death. Um, it's uh, they they feel uh, they feel young, and they say it. You know, they are looking toward a better future because of Spock's uh, uh, sacrifice, and. To open up Star Trek Three with everyone, you know, you know, down in the dumps and everyone's depressed, that just doesn't ring true after having seen Star Trek Two. You know, and it was interesting that Eddie Egan answered a question we had about this movie. Of course, there's that beautiful, beautiful Bob Peak art uh, poster that was not used in America. Yeah. That um, uh, uh, that who done the art for Star Trek the Motion Picture. Bob Peak, one of the great movie poster artists of all time. But instead, it's this awful collage of bad photos from Star Trek Two. Why is that? And apparently, they wanted, you know, as much to show that this is a movie filled with action and 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 to differentiate it from Star Trek the Motion Picture as they could, which right. is why they used the collage poster of things blowing up and the Enterprise firing phasers as opposed to this, uh, you know, painted poster. And it was interesting because they were really trying to hide the ball in a sense and say, you know, well, if you didn't like Star Trek one, you're going to love Star Trek two. And uh, Gina Buxom says, uh, "I wish they would have tied the original series division colors in to the show." Bob's posters are absolute works of art. Jordan totally agree. Bob Peak is awesome. Max, you're absolutely right. And then it says, stand by, because we are going to continue the conversation with you guys coming on stage to talk about the impact the movie had on you, first time you saw the film, um, you know, uh, and get your input. So, you know, stick around after the movie. Now, this is the stuff that Bob Salen shot in Golden Gate Park right. of the casket. This was added after the first test screening, uh, much to uh, the chagrin of Nick Meyer, but Nick Meyer not have final cut he was overruled by the studio and by um harp bennett and bob salen shot all his bob had a very successful career in commercials and had been hired by harp bennett to sort of run line produce this movie um uh because they, they met at ucla and were good friends and we didn't really talk as much about harp bennett as i would have liked harp was really kind of a remarkable man he started as a quiz kid as a child he was in mensa he was a brilliant guy had an incredibly successful career producing things like the six million dollar man and bionic woman and um a lot of miniseries and uh we we sort of glossed over him but he in many ways along with nick meyer was the man who saved star trek you know he he did call it a, a beached whale after star trek one which did him no favors which Roddenberry. So he wasn't always the most diplomatic, but he deserves a lot of credit for saving the franchise. We would not have Star Trek The Next Generation and uh, Deep Space Nine and Voyager and Enterprise and all the other shows if it hadn't been for Nick Meyer and uh, Hart Bennett. And uh, here we have the closing credits. Uh, and now we're going to talk some more and bring some people on to talk more about it. Next week, uh, Sia is going to be presenting Breakfast at Tiffany's, which if you haven't seen or you have seen, it's one of the one wonderful film with George Papard of the A-Team and the great luminous Audrey Hepburn. It's one of my favorite movies. I hope you'll check it out. Um, and uh, Mickey Rooney, not so much. But uh, <laughs> anyway, let's talk Star Trek 2. Um, yes, All right. still get chills. Yeah, right. Darren, Mark, thank you guys so much. We're going to start bringing on people for live Q&A video chats. Excellent. So everybody, you're going to see a button at the bottom of your screen that says request to join stage. That's going to bring you in with one of our producers. They're going to interview you 
you quickly make sure you have headphones with a microphone in, stable Wi-Fi, and a camera on your phone or your computer so we can see you. And try to limit your questions to one so we can get through as many people as we can during this time. But Darren, Mark, wow, incredible. I was stuffing my face with snacks, just soaking up all the, the awesome. trivia you guys were. I learned so much, that's incredible. Uh, we'll start you off with one question while we wait for people to come Great. through the pipeline. You guys obviously have spent time with legends in the Star Trek universe. I just want to ask, what's one of the most memorable experiences you've had, each of you, with maybe one of your heroes in the universe, sitting down with one of the actors? I mean, you've had countless experiences. Darren, why don't you go first? I'll, I'll go first, I, although I think our answer is going to be similar. Um, I had uh, I had the great experience to uh, spend some time with William Shatner in uh, Ticonderoga at the Star Trek uh, official uh, original series set tour. And uh, I got to spend some time taking guests around the sets. And I got to do my Roddenberry voice for Shatner. And we had a little back and forth of uh, me pretending to be Roddenberry and him <laughs> getting uptight at me. And it was, it was great. It was a lovely moment that I got to share with Mr. Shatner. Yeah, I mean, I, I look, I was lucky enough to make a movie with Bill and uh, spent a lot of time uh, with uh, Bill Shatner when we were making Free Enterprise. Uh, you know, they say don't meet your eyes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but in this case, it was a, it was a, a beautiful thing. And, uh, you know, I've been fortunate to spend time with a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of the uh, Star Trek actors and, and um, just uh, very lucky. I mean, my favorite this was early on before we really got to know Bill sitting in his office and we we're talking about script changes and uh, he, he didn't really think we were big Star Trek fans. He didn't know. He just thought we were guys who were capitalizing on a success. <laughs> and he said there was a line he wanted to change about uh, Jill Ireland. He said, you know, that actress, she died of cancer. And, you know, maybe what you should do is refer to her by her character's name instead to be more respectful. So there you have these encyclopedias. You could like go and find one and look it up and find out what her character's name was. And Robin, I said, Leela Colomi. And he goes, right. And suddenly then we the jig was up. He knew we were huge Star Trek fans. But uh, it was a remarkable, uh, remarkable experience that I wouldn't trade for anything. My well, first fantastic. movie. And, and, and just a remarkable experience. Well, and I just want to push for the audience, too, so everybody understands. You guys have the chance to come on stage here and ask a question over video chat to uh, Darren and Mark here. So press the request to go to stage button down below. That's when you'll get a chance to talk to our producer and they'll send you through. And um, don't be afraid. Yeah, don't be afraid. They're, they're very friendly. Uh, we'll, I'll let Most you know, guys, when we have callers coming in. So Great. anybody, feel free to go for it. And One we're other... so grateful to, uh, to so see so many familiar names from listeners of the podcast, the Inglorious Trexperts. So we're, we're glad to see you guys uh, joined us today, um, you know, to talk about Star Trek Two, which I figured we talked about ad nauseum, but it, it, it continues. And just so everybody knows, yes, you can still, if you don't have a microphone, I see some in the comments, you guys can text your questions in and we'll, we'll ask those there as well. So feel free. Okay, we've got our first caller. Oh, oh hey, I know that Boots book. is here. I know that book. Wow, look at that. You mean this book? The yes, yes. Wow, this look book. at that. This book. I love this it. Book. All right, enough <laughs> commercials. Do you have a question? Another book. Do you have this one? Oh, my one? goodness. Oh, it's signed. No. I sell it on eBay. That's great. I'm, I'm not... <laughs> what does it say? It says, oh my God, it says Boots live long and prosper. Oh, wow. That's pretty I generic. Mean, 
We were your Orion slave, your retired Orion slave girls at last year's Comic-Con. I remember. And, you yes. know, obviously I put a lot of thought into that. They live long and prosper. Where did I come up with that one? From? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad you still have it. You didn't sell it on eBay. That's that's good. Oh, abs absolutely not. And I, uh, Jessica Von Puttermaker might show up at next year's Comic-Con. Just saying. Nice. Just that in 2021, Jesko von yep. Puttermaker. Yes, as I, I famously called her, uh, Jess, uh, Jesko von Puttermaker, who has become yes. Jessica von Puttermaker or whatever. But uh, yeah, but uh, he was science advisor on Star Trek The Motion Picture. Um, Boots, what's your, question? What, what, <laughs> what's your question? What's your question? What is your question? Before well, all this so time, we, we waited a question. I know it's like old home week, basically. So I was going to hit you with the trivia question, which is name the ship from which Khan and his followers originally came. Well, look, it's the Botany Bay, but here's yeah. the thing. We don't do <laughs> trivia. There's no. one trivia master, and that man is Rafe Needleman. We don't do trivia. There's the Organian trivia master, Rafe Needleman. We are the Trexperts. We talk about the behind the scenes and the making of and all that stuff. The trivia this is for is other true. people. This <laughs> right? is true. Am all I right. right? You're, you're you, correct. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. <laughs> Botany so, Bay. Botany so, Bay. Making reference to your book, and, and I'm here on page 439, um, <laughs> Walter Koenig talking about uh, that if you can point to one single element that makes this film successful, it's the presence of a formidable, worthy antagonist. And so the question there is, you know, obviously this is why this particular film has sustained its popularity all these years and and how critical do you think that is in us moving forward with new star trek interpretations if you will darren you want to take that first i i have to say that i think it has actually hobbled the ability for star trek to go forward and be star trek uh, i think too many times they tried to recapture that you know, secret formula that worked so well on Khan, and it doesn't work so well with other characters, with other antagonists, and you you can't you can't jam that square peg into the round hole. It just doesn't it doesn't work as well. And I think that the the, the restrictions of having the villain of the week in each of the movies was very detrimental mm -hmm. to having Star Trek really grow into something on its own rather than just a copy of yeah, Wrath of Khan. I would add to that because you have, in every movie, there's who's, they, they would inevitably ask, the studio would ask, who is the Khan in this movie? So in Star Trek right. Three, you have Kruge, which is a less effective version of Khan played by for Lloyd. Sorry, Star Trek Three fans. But then you get to something like Generations, and it was the same thing where you have Malcolm McDowell's Sauron, who basically is their Khan. But they, it's the law of diminishing returns. It's like a copy of a copy copy so every time you do another version of khan it's not as good and that's in a way the triumph of star trek 4 that there is no villain this is what right. leonard nimoy would always say the villain is us you know mm. the villain is us mm -hmm. because we destroyed the wells right so um that's why that movie is so clever because it manages to be remarkably entertaining without um uh without a black hat villain mm -hmm. <laughs> great Thank well, you so much for coming on. Great. We appreciate that. Thanks, I think we've got Thank another you. one coming in here soon, fellas. Great, great. to see you guys. Well, great. Great. Thanks so much for joining us. Day. 
All right, so there'll be another one joining us here on the stage. Great. And we've also got some, there's still text uh, questions coming in on the oh, side. Yeah. Trek, uh, Darren Grayson says, uh, Trek 4 gets ever more present. That's true. Um, Nick uh, asks, uh, is Kirk still alive in the Nexus? I can't accept him dying under a bridge on Viridian 3. Yeah, he's alive. Yeah. You know what? My hope, my hope still, and my prayer is that one day we will see a Kirk uh, miniseries. If they can do Picard, they can do Kirk. I, I'm more than happy to see an 89-year-old William Shatner running around saving the universe one more time. Or even if he's not running around. That'd be, be fine walking too. very slowly. <laughs> it's fine. He can be, you know, hobbling around saving the universe. That's fine with me. So feel free again to ask questions in the sidebar chat, guys, and it, click that request to go to stage button if you'd like to come onto the video chat here. You just need a microphone and a phone camera or laptop. You can uh, be here on the stage. Tim Haxton one asks, can we get Paramount to comment further on all the Star Trek films in 4K? Um, that's up to them. I, of course, am fully in favor of uh, the director's edition uh, being brought up to 4K and, uh, uh, you know, giving it the final uh, version of uh, that version of the film that I worked on uh, 20 years ago. And uh, let's uh, let's let them know that that's what we want, because... Uh... I think that's a great idea. <laughs> but uh, Thank you, the, Kirk um... Dahl. Well, you know, I'm Bill Hunt put out a uh, from Digital Bits put out a survey recently. Would you buy the Star Trek films in 4K? And do you want all of them or just the hits? And I think the response was people want to see all the Star Trek films in 4K um, restored uh, yeah. from those early uh, masters um, remastered. And I think that would be great. I will say that the 4K version of Star Trek II that is available on iTunes is um, ex exceptionally beautiful. And uh, I think we showed that DCP at the American Cinematheque, and it was great. But I'd love to see that for all the all the movies, even the bad ones, because they're all they all have something to recommend, even the ones that are good as Star Trek Two. I see more people coming to the stage. Yes, I, we we have some. I think their comms are being jammed by Con <laughs> right now. I think. Come on down, transmit now. <laughs> oh no, just so, they're forming. Just so everybody knows, if you get to the approved stage and you've left the event, you have to click Join Stage again to come onto the the video call. All right. Join the stage. Join the expedition. Starfleet booster matter game. We need more signal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we need more signal. They're breaking up. <laughs> Don't worry, Darren. There's nothing you could have done. Sorry, Rand. Wasn't your fault. They, 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 it's funny. It's like they tried to beam in, yeah. and they were, they were gone. Yeah, and then they, they, and they were, were gone. gone. Yeah. What they got back didn't live I, long, fortunately. Tim Haxton says, I can join the stage as I'm transmitting from Talos 4. Ah. Uh, Trek Harris says, oh, no, they're forming. Yeah, but we lost their patterns, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, so let's see. Who came up with the mind transfer mind, to yeah. Dr. McCoy? That was uh, that was Harp Ben. Yeah. Came up with the remember. I think in concert with Leonard. Right. You know, um, that was not a Nick Meyer thing, and that was not uh, yeah. Uh, Tarantino uh, Trek. A film. Film Ernie was yes asking us about Tarantino Trek. Why, why don't you answer that, Darren? I would I would love to have seen a Tarantino Star Trek movie. Uh, he is a huge fan of uh, certainly the original Star Trek, and uh, you can see references in uh, several of his scripts. Um, I think he would have been a, a great new voice to have uh, added to the Star Trek mythos. Yeah, I, I you know I actually I spent some time with Quentin. Um, talking about this very subject at the Sidious Film Festival and, and 
back when we first met at the Hawaii Film Festival um, and uh, when I had Free Enterprise there. And he is an authentic Shatner fan, first and foremost, a fan of Star Trek. And I love to see with his original voice what he would bring to Star Trek. And clearly a fan of the 60s is evidenced by Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You know, I know he sort of backed away from saying he's going to do this movie. I think that's a loss because uh, I would love to see what he would bring to Star Trek. I, whatever it is, it would be original, it would be fresh, and it would come from a place of love. And that to me is exciting. Yeah. Darren, Mark, we've got a great question from Theo. He asked, have you two ever thought about what would have happened to Khan and his Superman if the second film didn't deal with Khan? Hmm. Well, I want to ask that real quick because uh, they Paramount was actually developing a sequel to Star Trek II that would have been a spinoff called Prison Planet, uh, which would have been about Khan. It would have been a pre about Khan on SETI Alpha 5. Um, and they had actually commissioned a script. This is something that Eddie Egan told us about on the podcast. And I mentioned it in the book also, uh, which that's something that I hadn't known and only recently found out about. And then as they started to develop Return the the search for Spock was known. Um, uh, Prison Planet was abandoned. But there had been serious talk of doing a spinoff with Ricardo Montalbán as Khan in a, a show called the in a called the Prison Planet, in a movie called Prison Planet. And then many years later, Nick Meyer was uh, hired uh, by CBS All Access to develop a miniseries set on SETI Alpha 5. But that thing has pretty much been abandoned at this right. point. Are any of us going to Star Trek Las Vegas this summer? I'm not convinced there's going to be a Star, a Star Trek, Trek Las, Vegas Las Vegas this summer. Um, I mean, I think given that everything's been canceled, you know, Comic-Con and uh, a lot of other, I, I'd be I'd be surprised if that still happens uh, yeah. uh, at this point, unless there's a miraculous change in uh, uh, regarding the uh, pandemic situation. Don't you think, Darren? I, I think so. I, I seriously doubt anything is actually going to go on uh, till at least, you know september or october uh, at least so unfortunately well thank you dr tepper for your insights yes. into uh, the pandemic um but you know i look here's the thing that's what's so wonderful about this that we can come together as a community and and i you know you know a lot of you you know some people with their families a lot of people are by themselves so when we can you know even if it's virtual come together you know and talk about this movie that we love and something we love like star trek and I think it's very exciting. It's one of the reasons I wanted to do this uh, and be a part of this because I know it's really hard for some people uh, uh, going through what we've been going through with the quarantine. And it's been, you know, over a month now and it could be a lot longer unless you live in Georgia. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, so I, I, you know, I'm glad that we can all connect and, and do this. And it's, I think, very meaningful and, uh, you know, to celebrate the things we love. So um, I don't know if Star Trek uh, convention is going to happen. I usually make a point, obviously, of being a Comic-Con. I have for the last 25 years. I'll, that won't be happening this year. I, I, I don't know if I, I really want to go particularly after hearing their mayor speak. Um, but, uh, you know, as Mr. Spock is fond of saying, there are always possibilities. <laughs> there was a couple more questions that came in. Uh, someone was asking about how much the studio suits impeded on Wrath of Khan. Well, I, don't, I don't think they did a lot, actually. You, you can speak they, more to that. They didn't. Yeah, they didn't because they were spending so little money on it. Yeah. That was, you know, the, they were interfered because it was, you know, under Michael Eisner uh, and Katzenberg at the time, uh, you know, Barry Diller was the chairman. Of the, and, and so basically they they figured, okay, there's even if only the Trekkies show up, that's what they called them. I'm not calling you Trekkies. I'm calling you Trek enthusiasts. But um, 
they figured if we make it cheap enough, there's no way we can lose money. Mm. So at that point, you know, the studio wasn't really too worried. Now there was a point at which they were going to pull the plug, but then Nick Meyer came in and Karen Moore, who was the executive on the project was a friend of his. So that helped. Um, and then the only other time they really got worried was when Gene sort of leaked the fact that Spock was going to die. They were afraid then, well, if we lose the Star Trek audience, then we may have a problem. And, uh, you know, a lot of saying if Spock dies, you die. And if Spock <laughs> isn't there, I'm not coming. You know, so right. It was very, people forget, this was like a big deal. It was very vitriolic. And this was before social media, but this was like the mm. equivalent of social media back then. And, um, you know, obviously after the movie came out, people were very happy and with, with the way things worked out. But the studio l largely had a hands-off. They trusted Harv Bennett. Um, you know, he had made them a lot of money in television. And uh, uh, so there wasn't a lot studio interference uh with the film and again partially the less a movie costs the less the studio is going to meddle right the more it costs the more they're going to have uh you know interfere no one interfere <laughs> <laughs> well hopefully we'll have jordan joining here in just a moment he's moving to stage excellent yes yeah, okay so you know um jordan just said salon claims it was susan sackett who leaked it it was roddenberry and i'll tell you um th this is because there was a code on each of the scripts that could be traced back to whoever it was. And the script that was leaked had the Roddenberry code. Now, Susan may have been the person who actually sent it for Roddenberry because Susan was Gene's secretary, but uh, it, it, it was unquestionably Gene Roddenberry who did it. it that's uh, it's just a fact. So anyway, it, you know what, this is 30 years ago. Who really cares? Right. <laughs> but, uh, but, but anyway, I just, I, you know, sometimes I had to correct misinformation. It's, it's actually 40 years ago, Mark. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're right. My God, you're right. Oh man, oh, I feel old. It's not when the world was young. I just feel old. Um, James M. Parr was asking if they hadn't used Space Seed as the basis for the film, what other episode would have been a good choice for a follow-up? No, that's hmm. a Darren. I don't. I don't know. I think you. You know, yeah, actually, I, actually, I do know. I think a good one would have don't been. Don't say the Omega Glory. No, don't say it. I'm not going to say it. I'm going to say where no man has gone before and find out what happened to Gary Mitchell. Well, that was something you always said about Star Trek V. That's that true. We when they went to the center of the galaxy, God should have turned out to be Gary, you know, Mitchell. Uh, Gary Mitchell, which was a really interesting idea uh, that it was, you know, that he, he had used it to lure Kirk back in. And in fact, there was a version of Star Trek II where it turns out that Khan was manipulating Kirk's son to get a starship. And mm. it was very Star Trek V. Right. He he basically wanted to get the Enterprise to get off of where he was stranded. Right. Um, and it, 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 you look at it in retrospect, and it was totally the plot, almost totally the plot of Star Trek V. Oh, we have somebody else trying to beam in. CO. It keeps uh, flashing. Uh, CO. Um, Chili Zone Hill. Yes, what did you guys think of the TV show Enterprise? He says, I liked it a lot. You know, it's funny. I got to tell you, uh, I, I actually, there's probably too much information. I got hit with the coronavirus early. Uh, I had just gotten back from, uh, I was uh, in Europe prepping uh, a season two of my show Pandora. And I had come back when the the, the, um, the flight thing happened, the, 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 the travel ban. And I got, so I had nothing to do. I was sort of in bed for a while. So I, I kind of started watching episodes of Enterprise. I'm not sure quite why. And I have to say that I gained a new appreciation for it. Um, at least the, the fourth season, there's some really good episodes. So I, I'm, it, I, 
think that it, it, it the cast isn't that strong, but uh, um, I, I've reevaluated it a lot in my mind, and, and I do think I probably like it more than Voyager now. So mm. anyway, still second tier track, but uh, but it's gone up in my estimation. Maybe it was just the fact that I was feverish. <laughs> there was a follow-up question too about thoughts on Picard. Yeah, I'd rather not talk about Picard only because I think that um, it's too soon to perspective. I, I, I like to look back at things that we have um, more perspective on. And uh, I'm glad that the people who are watching it and love it uh, are, are feel that strongly and are enjoying it and getting something out of it. And yep. uh, um, and that's and that's great. Our podcast is about celebrating what we love. And so, you know, my feeling is I want to talk about and all the virtues of that we love and um we leave it to other people to talk about the things that we they love that we may not feel as strongly about so um you know uh that's sort of um that's sort of what i would say about that i'd agree with that yeah so <laughs> but anyway good question nonetheless but i'd love ask me about things i love and i'll be happy to <laughs> talk about it best episode of tos wow that's oh like... best episode of the original series darren I, you know, I, I'll, I'll name 20 of them. I can't pick a best one. It depends on what day it is. Well, look, I will then say I'll steal a line from the great Scott Mance, Bowie Mance, Citizen Kane of Star Trek episodes, City on the Edge of Forever. City on the Edge of Forever, in my mind, it's the stairway to heaven. It's always number one <laughs> uh, it's at the top of the list. But there's so many great episodes. The Doomsday Machine, Mirror, Mirror, um, a Piece of the Action, um, uh, Corbmite Maneuver, Balance of Terror, Arena. I mean, I, you know, I could sit here and tell you probably 60 episodes that are amazing. And then I could tell you a few that aren't. The first episode of... I'm going to interject real quick go, there and go just ahead. want to let people know, uh, for anybody who's having transcorder issues, make sure you click the, the green check mark when you're approved to get led onto the stage. You'll see a green check mark. Make sure you click that to go live. Sorry, back to you, Darren. It's green. It's green. <laughs> it's green. Like uh, Soaring Brand. Um, I missed the... Oh, the uh, first episode of TOS, you remember seeing. I think that would be Devil in the Dark uh, on, um, on Channel 11 in New York. I I used to watch on Channel 11 New York. For all I know, I might have seen the animated series first. I, I was so young. I just, I, I, or I'm so brain addled now that I'm old that I don't remember. Yeah. Uh, you know, I could tell you stories about watching them. I do have a very fond memory. At the time, it was the $100,000 pyramid. And this kid came on. And he was like a Star Trek expert. And I'm <laughs> like, yeah, let's see what kind of expert you are, kid. And, you know, he, he got a rounds in on the $100,000 pyramid, but not very far. And then they said, what was the name of the ship in the Doomsday Machine? I'm like, oh, this kid will get That's an easy question. And he's like, ah, ah, ah. And I'm like, it's a constellation. And I start freaking out. I'm six years old, seven years old. It's a constellation. How do you not know? And he ended up not getting the answer and got kicked out. I'm like, I could have had that $100,000. His kids, you know. But, uh, but yeah, that, that I remember. But I don't remember the first episode of uh, Star Trek that I ever saw. I do remember Viewmaster, though. The, 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 the Omega Glory Viewmaster. Mm, yes, that's a great one. There's another now, question. Tim Haxton says, Wrath of Khan was the first Star Trek thing he ever saw. I was seven years old. Great time to grow up with wonderful Star Trek films. That's yeah, great. I always wonder what it would have been like 
see the films before the TV series. That's interesting. And it's like I said, it's like knowing I am your father. It's like people who mm. watched the prequels before they saw Empire Strikes Back. How would the I am your father moment work? It's the same thing. You know, seeing Spock die as your first exposure to Star Trek versus having this connection to him. It's very interesting. I, I, I envy you having that experience because it's obviously very different than the experience that we had. Uh, there's another question. Would you consider doing commentaries of TOS episodes on your podcast? We would consider it. We shall consider it. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're you know, look, we're talking about doing that very thing because of obviously we can't go into the studio. We're socially distancing. So we're going to be doing a couple of Zoom episodes. We're going to see how that works out. Um, uh, um, and then uh, obviously we had a great time doing this. So if Paramount is kind enough and Sia to invite us back. We'd love to do more of the movies. I don't know, you know, if you guys are game for that, but uh, you know, it's something to consider for the future. I guess if you enjoyed this experience, you should let them know. And if you didn't, you should let them know too, um, because then we don't want to come back. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of support for that. Know in the comments that people want more of these. Hey, everybody, just to let you know, we're going to take a really, really fast break off the stage. Darren, Mark, and I will be back. We're just resetting some technical stuff so we can okay. get you guys on for video chat. So, Darren, Mark, we'll be back in just a moment. Don't go Great. away. We'll be back in a moment. I always want right. to say that. <laughs> Civil rights struggle. You know, um, uh, you know, Vietnam War. Uh, you know, it was it was a tough time, and people looked to Star Trek for hope. And I think that's why it resonates now. It's the same thing. People are looking for hope and people are looking to believe. Yeah, today may not be ideal, but tomorrow will be better. And that's why Star Trek has endured for 50 years. And if it, if it sticks to that, it will endure for another 150 years. Yes, I totally agree. Yep. This works. I know a lot of people don't like the new shows like Discovery. You hear both sides. I just enjoy all Star Trek like I tell all the other fans i you're gonna like some you're not gonna like some and same with the movies you know i just enjoy them so i don't really have negative stuff about them i mean well that, everybody that's has, what we always say but... we say people you love what you love and, and and you embrace what you love about star trek and you know uh th th there's so much vitriol out there's no point dwelling on the negative when you can celebrate the positive yeah, yeah. that's exactly i just I just like, okay, positive people, positive, not so much negative. I don't mind hearing some negative, but it's like, don't trash everything about, you know, the new stuff. I mean, it, it's new. It's different to me. You know I mean? It's, it's, the discovery is different. I haven't been able to watch Picard yet, the new, but eventually I will, <laughs> but it's just different. And I just enjoy it all. It just, you know, it's fun. It's, you know, family. I think it's more like a family Star Trek. Like when I've been in Vegas there for the convention, people are always great there. Love it. I was kind of no, hoping hopefully they'll have it because for this year. Cause There's it's an old be, expression. Yes, it's going to be mine and my hubby's uh, 25th wedding anniversary. So. Congratulations. Oh, wow. Your, your husband's great. 25th. Well, it's your 25th yeah. Uh, yeah. wedding yeah. anniversary then. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's what I meant. Sorry. Well, congratulations yeah. in advance. That's exciting. I hope it. I hope it goes through, but man, I hope so. That would be be normal. The Star Trek convention. I hope so, but maybe it'll just I get postponed. I hope so too. But you know, but... I see a lot <laughs> of people at those conventions who have, you know, uh, who have um, uh, in wheelchairs and and would you know have uh, disabilities and stuff. And I would hate to see them risk uh, their health and their safety to go to a, a Star Trek convention. So I hope that. 
if if they it's because it's safe to do it and uh things are better but you know it's better to be home and to be safe than yeah. you know to rush out there before it's right it's time yeah hey agree well, I was thank gonna you ask, guys of course Thanks where so are you much. calling in from today thank you that what sorry where, where are you that. calling in from today it's always we're always curious to hear oh, where everybody's watching from oregon oregon, oregon. okay nice. very good and are you having a lot of Star Trek keeping you company during during the uh, quarantine days? Oh yes, and I got my husband, who's usually working, uh, <laughs> not now, uh, like most everybody else. I got him got him to watch like Enterprise and Voyager because he'd never seen those before. So are those those your I favorites? See. He, yeah, he never saw them before, so he he saw the original Star Trek and Next Generation, but never saw any of the other Star Trek. So we've We've gone through both of those, so we're working on DS9 now and so on. So <laughs> you saw the discovery. I see Anthony, uh, Anthony from Trek Movie is asking who we think the most important behind-the-scenes person on uh, Star Trek was next to uh, Gene Ronberry. And I say, uh, I, in my mind, uh, I, I think Darren, I'll have two different people. Uh, Gene, Gene Alcoon, to me, absolutely. I, I would the, agree the man with that. who made Star Trek what it is. Either oh, Gene really? Alcoon or Bob, or Bob Justman. Or Bob Justman. I thought you were going to say Justman, yeah, for sure. And then I would say from a purely um, um, uh, um, lascivious point of view, uh, William Ware Tice. But, uh, that's, uh, but, but then Gene Kuhn would absolutely be my, my, my choice. And for the look of it that still is you know, basically unchanged, uh, Matt Jeffries. Oh, God, Jerry Fenneman. Oh, Matt, Matt Jeffries and Jerry Kinnaman, the DP. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, both of them working together. But, yeah, I mean, we're still dealing yeah. with designs today that Matt Jeffries first, you know, came up with. Jeffries was a genius. You know, obviously, the Enterprise is his creation and so much of what we associate and continue to associate with Star Trek. Look, there's so many people. It was an alchemy, you know. Yeah. No, it was no one person. It was a combination of Gene Rodney. You can't take anything away from him. He was a genius. Uh, what he did here. I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. say goodbye to our friend from Oregon, and we're gonna bring in oh, a new caller. Thank you. Thanks for continuing for coming today. Thank you. And happy anniversary to you and your husband. <laughs> so there'll be another one joining us on stage. But Great. you can finish your thought there, Mark. Yeah, I was just gonna say that um, you know it is it's alchemy. So it's Justman. It's 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 Bob uh, uh, Bob Justman. It's Tice. It's it's John Meredith Lucas. It's it's um, you know it's so many people that made that uh, that show uh, great. And it's the same with all the shows that uh, that work. You know, you look at uh, Deep Space Nine. It's a combination of Pillar and and Ira Bear and Ron Moore and Renee Echevarria. You know, and and there's there's no just one person. Is that so we've got yeah. a new caller here, Collecting Trek? Welcome. Do you have a question for Mark and Darren? Oh, Collecting Trek. Yeah, we know Hello. him from uh, a long time, long time listener, as they say on the radio. Long time listener. <laughs> Hi guys, yeah, I'm a. Big fan of the podcast, as Mark says. I've been listening f since the beginning. Uh, I have, uh, I have my my Kirk here nice. as well. Oh yeah. Important. Uh, yeah. Ah, well, I, 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 I don't have the con. Don't have the con. Okay, I got, I got Mirror Kirk right here. <laughs> oh yeah, very good. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the podcast. I, I, I wanted to say that I think. The reason that Wrath of Khan is so successful, as you were saying earlier, is because it's kind of like a TV episode. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if Star Trek does best on TV, that the movies were more of a financial decision than a creative decision, and that Star Trek really is a TV um, animal. 
I think that's yes, a very first of all, valid. That's a great point. question. Yeah. But before we answer it, I, 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 you know, somebody pointed out that I missed DC Fontana when I was talking oh. about people who made, and they are absolutely one hundred and twenty percent right. Absolutely, uh, DC Fontana was instrumental to the success of the original Star Trek. I, I, I don't know how I neglect her, so I apologize. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. but yes, back to your question, Darren. Oh, Darren? I, I, I have to say that I think I think you're absolutely right to a point. Um, I think that Star Trek certainly worked best uh, as a television venue just because of the storytelling needs and the fact that you know for a feature film you sort of need this much bigger you know universe shattering you know problem that needs to be solved in two hours right and i think doing that over and over again gets to be a little bit tiring where trek works better on this on the smaller screen because of the you know the the problems that they need to solve are a little less. I mean, sometimes you get the big, the big bad threat, and figuring out the secret behind, you know, the space amoeba or something like that. <laughs> but yeah. it's, you know, it's a smaller canvas, and I think it works exceedingly well on that, and only occasionally works, you know, well on the big screen. You See, know, there I, used I, to be an axiom. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go, go. They, they used to people used to say, and this used to be true. They said Star Wars was a movie franchise and Star Trek was a TV franchise. Basically, being Star Wars worked as movies, Star Trek worked as television. Now, obviously, you could argue that Star Wars now seems to be working better as a TV series than it does as movies. <laughs> and Star, you know, Star Trek, um, uh, you know, it, 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 at its heart is a show about characters. So, it, it, TV should be the medium that is strongest. Right. And the best of the Star Trek movies are where it deals with the characters. But what Darren says, you're right. The stakes have to be so high. And that was something all the executives would always demand of any of the writers and the producers on the Star Trek movies is Earth in jeopardy. Earth always had to be in jeopardy. Mm -hmm. you know. And it's funny because they say, oh, all the good Star Trek movies are where Earth is in jeopardy. And then, you know, I know Brandon Ron would say, you mean like in Wrath of Khan? <laughs> it's like, and like, yeah. like, what do you mean? You know? so, so that whole thing, it, it's so interesting that the, the, these things that, become you know conventional wisdom and uh so I, I i but i do agree i i feel like star trek theoretically it works better as a as a tv show where you can really do deep dive in the character and where the earth is jeopardy or where there aren't these huge stakes and then again that's why khan because it's our characters that are in jeopardy it's mm -hmm. not like if khan defeats kirk he's going to go and conquer the universe he's not right. you know so right. um it's a very it's good question and i think people could really learn from the lessons of what makes great star trek um and and what makes effective star trek because again star trek is completely because that's why we can go and watch all these episodes of the original series again and again and again and even yeah. the really bad ones you can still enjoy because we love the characters we're invested in the characters even in the worst episodes the way to eden right yeah, the way. <laughs> well, almost all yay, the episodes. yay brother <laughs> yay brother no i think i i, I think the reliance on the movies, and, and as, as Darren says, the you know the big conflict. What that does is it gives you Nemesis, and it gives you Khan in the JJ track, yes. because you have to have this huge Nemesis. Whereas on TV, we get uh, you know the Horda and we get Balok, mm -hmm. and it, it is much more personal, much more meaningful, frankly, than Nemesis, right. which is just we have this huge evil person for no reason at all, you know. Yeah. No, no. 
I could completely agree. And you, you get stuck with, you know, Picard's evil clone um, because they're trying to do con again and not yeah. not well. And as great an actor as Tom Hardy would eventually be, you know, he's not great in that no. movie. There's nothing remotely um, uh, uh, good about that film. <laughs> and uh, it's my least favorite Star Trek movie. Uh, Absolutely. I, I, I know this is brought to you by Paramount. I'm sorry, but uh, I still own it. So what do you care, right? <laughs> I still bought it. I, you still, I still get me, but, uh, but uh, you know. Next week just, we do commentary on Nemesis. <laughs> yeah, that, would, that would be an interesting commentary. I'll pay two bucks um, for that, guys. I'll, I'll pay two bucks. You go to two for that. Not yeah. $1.99. You'll go up to two. Yeah, I'll go for two. Yeah. Nice. Nemesis. Okay. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> but you're absolutely—it's a very astute comment you made about you know why Star Trek works and why often it doesn't. And you know sometimes these movies—they don't have the budget to bite off more than they can chew. Star Trek is a very big idea, and the execution is let down because they just can't you know kind of pull it off. And uh, you you find that happening more and more with Star Trek. Um, and uh, it's just a shame because the best stories are personal stories, even though ultimately City and the Forever is about. Oh my God! You know uh, the Nazis will defeat America. Um, it's nobody cares about that. Yeah. They care about Edith Keeler and right. Kirk and what's going to happen to the love of his life. You know. So. Well, hey, collecting Trek. Thanks so much for calling in. We appreciate. Hey, it. great to meet you. Thanks for thanks, calling. Thanks, great to meet you too. Thanks a lot. Please keep doing the great podcast to meet forever. You too. <laughs> do forever. Do the podcast forever. Okay. We'll, we'll, we, we we'll do our it. best. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thank, Thank you. Take care. All right. Still questions here in the chat. We may have another coming in on the stage. Thanks for staying late, guys, and doing this. We appreciate it. Sure. I, I, I had no idea. I know you haven't eaten dinner yet, Arabia, but If, if yeah, our Irish fans can stay up till four in the morning, yeah, certainly we can stay up a little yeah. later, too. Homer has joined us. Mm -hmm. Homer, welcome. Do you have a question for Mark? And oh, Derek? Homer. Hello. Frizzell. Hey, Homer. How are you? I do. I do. First off, I want to I want to show off the shirt. Nice. Um, thank you. Thank Excellent. you. Inglorious Trexperts. Um, my question is, what makes a starship and how is a TARDIS considered to be one? <laughs> okay, that's a inside baseball from Homer. Homer has been uh, on the podcast for a long time. So I'm last time at New York Comic Con. He obviously is with our Star Smackdown. That is a point of tension. And I think both Darren and I, the TARDIS is not a spaceship. But um, Kay Rindell, one of our fellow spaceshipologists, makes a compelling case for why this police call box somehow is a spaceship. <laughs> but that's a conversation for another day. I, I can't even I get feel, into that because we're already been. <laughs> I feel like it's a transporter. It's just a transporter that's in a box. I, I don't know what it is. Okay. I, 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 you, you know I guess what I side I'm coming Doctor down Who on. Podcast. Oh, it's two uh, on do, who? <laughs> Doctor, Doctor Who is a kids right. show, and we don't deal with kids shows. No, I, 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 no, 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 no. And we don't hear your words. I don't, I don't agree with that. I, I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a huge Doctor Who fan, but I think it's a very good show. I think there has a lot going. There's some amazing. Uh, see, I love Tom Baker. I loved um, uh, uh, David Tennant, but I'm not like a huge Doctor Who fan, you know. But I, I would not dismiss it out of hand like Red Dwarf, like the way Darren is. Hey, I like Red Dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> to each their own. Darren. To each their own. <laughs> 
I I do that a lot this episode. To each their own. Every time somebody yeah. brings up certain shows, to each their own. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. I'm I'm sorry to have brought up that. I um, hope you enjoyed <laughs> wasting your question on that. I, I I did, and I I yield the balance of my time to the next questioner. <laughs> the how balance, you guys. How, how's how's things in New York? You're in New York, right? So how things, how you doing? Things, yeah, things are okay. I mean, I went on the Star Trek cruise, and I've been working from home for seven weeks now. And uh, it's just you get it, you adjust, and you develop a new routine. So all things considered, things are things are good. Is it easy for yeah. you to work from home? Is it is it easy for you to do that or no? Surprising, surprisingly so. Uh, the technology that I didn't think was there is actually there. So I can do video calls through work stuff. Um, yeah, it works. It works fine. You know, Thank I got to say, and this is suck up to see you for a second. You know, when I do Zoom calls, I'm usually exhausted after about 20 minutes. Like, I'm, I don't know what it's like. It literally sucks the life out. It's like the amoeba in immunity syndrome. It just sucks the energy out of me. Yeah. But somehow, I've been doing this for nine hours or, or now with the SIA thing, and I'm totally awake. It did not sap my energy at all. So I don't know what it is about the platform, but it's pretty awesome because I'm still, like, with you. That is, I have just, one quick question. I apologize. So what did you decide upon for dinner? For dinner, I'm still thinking about it. I might go with Mexican, but I'm thinking maybe Italian because I like Italian, and so does Darren. Darren, you like Italian? <laughs> no. Yes. No. No. Yes. Yes. You do. Yes. No. yes. All right. I'll send you some Italian. Thank you so much yeah. for calling in. Appreciate it. You bet. Thanks, Thank guys. You. Good to Take see care. you. Thank you, Homer. Good to see. You. I'm glad you're healthy and safe. All good. All right. Well, I just want to make sure I remind everybody, just so you know, next week breakfast. At Tiffany's will be here. You can see it up on the screen there. It's going to be hosted by Andrea Collis, the head of the Paramount Archives, and Leonard Moulton, the film historian. So you're not going to want to miss that. Darren, Mark, thank you so much. I'll hand it back to you guys for any closing remarks you have on this experience, Wrath of Khan. We're so glad you you joined us for this tonight. We are too. Yeah, this is fun. This is really fun. And you know, obviously, a lot of people who know about the podcast joined us tonight, clearly. Yes. And uh, But for those of you who aren't, you can listen to Inglorious Podcasts wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Uh, or Inglorious Trexperts. You what said did in, I call it? You can call it Inglorious Podcast, which it is. Oh, ingl but Inglorious Trexperts. <laughs> uh, you might also enjoy our other podcasts like the 430 Movie, where we curate fantasy theme weeks of classic films. I think Breakfast at Tiffany's was picked one week, as I think a matter it was. Fact, for uh, Love Stories Weeks. And, and, um, uh, and uh, you know, we love to talk about all kinds of films. We may introduce you to films that not familiar with we don't just talk about star trek although we do enjoy that and um, new episodes of inglorious are every saturday and uh, we want to thank our hosts at paramount and at sea alive for having us inviting Absolutely. us to do this and we want to thank you especially who uh took your hard-earned money to come and uh, join us on a saturday night remember the bay city rollers it's saturday night i don't think this is what they had in mind sitting around <laughs> talking about star trek but, you know, these are strange times we live in. Live from the Mutara Nebula, it's Saturday <laughs> Night Live. <laughs> well, well fellas, anyway, thank, thank you, you to so everyone. Much. Thank you. And, of course, I can't do it. The search worth in the uniform. Live long okay, and you know you the go. rest. <laughs> Take Have care. Great thank night, you for hosting. You're a of great course. host. Thanks thank for having you. us. We'll okay, run good. their uh, podcast trailer one more time here. And when we leave, give them a follow. We'll see you all next week on See You Live. 
Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. This is Darren Doctorman, and we are the Inglorious Trexperts. I thought it was a classic femme fatale. Just so much fun. Like that Shakespearean lace in your acting. I said, Gene, what do you want from this character? I want you to just take the character and make it your own. <laughs> <laughs> I had a good time on the film. On day one, the movie was already $15 million over budget. We started this movie without an ending. That's like painting yourself into a corner. I don't think we've ever had a Star Trek oh, captain on our show. True. Being, as you said, number one of the, on the call sheet, it is a producer's position if you're going to take it seriously. I was so glad they didn't cast me as Lorca. <laughs> you famously wrote that script in 12 days. On one level, I wrote the script. And on another level, the story was written by everybody and sure. his brother. New episodes every Saturday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Or download the Electric Now app. Keep on trekking. Ingloriously, of course. You've been listening to a live commentary of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Welcome back. We hope you enjoyed it. It was live. It was recorded live. And uh, we thank all of you who were there originally. It um, was, but not anymore. <laughs> we called. We begged for a moment. <laughs> uh, but nobody wanted to listen to us. So uh, anyway, uh, what a fun movie. You know, and I have to add, uh, you know, I'm a little piece of trivia. Paramount asked us which version of the movie we wanted to show. Right. Original cut, theatrical cut, or the director's cut, which isn't really a director's cut. It was a marketing right. gimmick. Right. Nick Myers talked about that. He said it's a cut that the director doesn't disagree with. He doesn't hate it. He's like, right. oh, you want to sell it again by putting in some scenes, like on ABC. It's fine. It explains right. who Scotty's nephew is. You know, but he doesn't endorse it. He says, like, that was my version. Right. I, I have any regrets about it and i don't feel this appreciably uh makes the movie any better but anyway so darren and i talked about it. i think darren wanted the original theatrical version i was leaning towards the director's edition director's cut right. only because um i think it's less well seen i thought it may be new to people certain people who haven't seen it although the 4k version is on itunes now um but uh, we, we decided, you know what, June 4th, 1982, let's go with the movie that was in theaters. And uh, we knew that it was a beautiful transfer of it. And, um, and it was. And, and, and you just watched it or you just listened to it. <laughs> you just listened to us watching it. Oh, yeah. And, and hopefully you, you watched along with the movie or, or maybe you didn't. I don't know. But, uh, but it's hopefully been- someday you'll have a chance to return there again one day. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> oh my god i showed isaac generations also he insisted on seeing it because and, and it's funny because he really likes the first 10 minutes with captain kirk and he hate he started sounding like me at the end he's like how could captain kirk die under a bridge yeah and and i like i know and he's like this is ridiculous this is movie's terrible and i'm like i know did um, you tell him how much better it was than the first ending they had no i didn't even show him that i, oh. I just didn't even watch where he gets shot in the back by some yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, I couldn't couldn't do it. It's interesting because we have a lot of fans that that the uh, as people listen to podcasts love generations. Certain generation loves generations, and I just I'm, I, I can't. Know, I'm glad for them. I'm glad that they can find such joy in something. I I just can't be one of those people. That's it, all. It's such a mess, and it's so funny because you know, look, I've said this before. You know, back when I was a critic and a journalist, you know, I. Really, I was I really hated Generations, and I wasn't shy about expressing my opinion. And for a long time, Ron Moore and Brandon were never going to talk to me again. Right. Funny because they've really come around, and I they think come around to your point of view. Yeah, from a certain point of view, <laughs> right. they actually 
he don't like the movie either. Right. Um, and uh, it's 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 sort of funny. But uh, but then of course your first contact is a movie that I think only gets better with age. So uh, I it. agree. I agree. So, um, okay. Well, listen, this was fun, and we hope you'll join us Saturday for an all-new episode. You, can, of course, can watch Inglorious Trexperts on the Electric Now streaming app, which is downloadable for free from your favorite app store. You can download Electric Now for free and watch any of your favorite Electric Surge podcasts along with episodes of Librarians, um, uh, uh, The Outpost, Leverage, and more. So definitely check that out. It's a really great free streaming service no payments no money has to be exchanged hands no, <laughs> no lieutenant yaw it's all there for the taking and uh and until then i want to say on behalf of darren document and myself keep on trekking ingloriously of course engage This show is produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.